0: I got a really nice compliment this week from yet another satisfied reader of extreme music, my novel. And uh, I thought uh, I've kind of, I was kind of glad to have it because it reminded me that it was out there. And, um, we now have all these Samsung listeners now on the uh, Samsung music or the uh, podcast app. So I thought I should probably mention this again and let them know that I, Michael Vetzuto, have written a book called extreme music. It's a novel. Um, I don't see why that book hasn't enriched me enough to go into early retirement, but I keep trying. Um, it's an excellent book, one of a kind. I laughed all the time when I was writing it. Um, it's a novel, please. It's not. It doesn't have anything to do with uh, real music, although there's some real music in it. It's fiction. It was written out of frustration with my master's thesis, uh, which took two months to write and six months to get the format right. And that's what really made me mad. <laughs> So the composer in the book, Alberto Narcisi, is a destroyer of the system, okay? It's a system that I had to write that thesis in. Uh, He's me, ridding the world of formats. Uh, If anyone wants to read it, available on Amazon only because it's self-published through them. Because there's no way I could get a book like this published in modern days (laughs) through a big publisher. They just, uh, they don't want me.
1: Well, I enjoyed it a lot. I think any uh, musician or someone who's passed through an arts school will appreciate the dark humor and uh, interesting scenarios that you wove into that. Uh, you'll get some deep chuckles out of it.
0: Well, thanks, Russ. Um, also, anyone who's uh, frustrated with the state of the world will probably love it, too, <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> which means everybody.
1: It's got all your suspense and uh, lots of, as I said, dark humor. And I don't appeal to a musical audience. Uh, it's just getting it noticed like anything else. So,
0: Yeah. You're getting it noticed. That's what it's all about. And yeah. I haven't done that because I've had to promote it myself. And I just uh, haven't promoted it at all. Now we have this podcast. We have this platform. So I guess I should mention it every once in a while. It was published way back in 2013, though. But um,
1: It's just as fresh as then. Yeah.
0: Yeah, just as fresh now. It's actually even more relevant now, probably. That's what always happens. we
1: have got the next one um, coming, right?
0: Um, yeah, theoretically, I haven't been working on it in a year or two now. Oh, you would okay. think with the coronavirus, I'd start, you know, I, I, but I just, the coronavirus made me stop somehow because we started doing all this work. We had to wear the masks and, you yeah. know, we had to stay home, learn how to use Zoom. And, well, it led to this. The, the Part of the reason we do this podcast is because of um well we were never locked down here in Japan but we did have to stay home for the uh for work so uh i think we just got bored and started talking about instead of talking about music at work we uh started yeah. talking about it on the uh on zoom and then we decided to just put it out there so listeners you're uh very fortunate <laughs> to have us <laughs> in
1: my humble
0: opinion
1: <laughs> if you're a new listener you're listening to adult music the podcast with music for the mature mind, and over there is your author and co-host Mike. Mike, that's me. Over right there, and I'm over here on this side, Russ. And this is episode 64 already. We'll get up to a hundred soon. That's the goal for the time being. Yeah, the music is really coming up this month, as uh, late spring, early summer. There's a lot of releases, so we've got a lot to talk about. Uh, before we yeah. roll into that, a lot
0: of jazz to talk about. Yeah, a lot of jazz. <laughs> There's classical, too. There's plenty of classical coming out.
1: Yeah. If we've got any new listeners, and I know that we do because uh, we've added uh, Samsung to our distribution, and that's really bumped up the downloads a lot in the past couple weeks. Yeah, thanks, Samsung listeners. Yeah, thanks a lot. And I'd just like to remind you and any other listeners that in the episode description, you're going to find links to Spotify and Apple for all the music we're going to talk about tonight, except for one that's not available on streaming. But I'll give I did you it the, again. You did it again. <laughs> we'll give you the uh, record label link for that if you want to hear samples. I'll explain
0: why that happens. And, you know, since we have so many new listeners now, I'll have to explain that again. But yeah.
1: That'll be cool. Uh, also, at the top of the description, there's a link to the full episode playlist where you can get all the music in one place on Deezer. Uh, that's our preferred streaming platform. We also have the podcast there. You can get everything in one place. Uh, just look us up. Uh, username Adult Music Podcast. And if you can't see the full description or the links on uh, the app that you use, check us out on our host site, Podbean, where everything is easy to follow. Now if you enjoy the podcast, please do follow or subscribe on whatever app or platform you're listening to us on. If you take a moment to give us a ranking or write a review, that helps us get listed in the browsing category recommendations. That helps us grow the audience.
0: I should mention, please give us a five-star ranking since we're new at this, and uh, that helps the algorithm a lot.
1: Yeah. Uh, Just take a minute to do that. We'd appreciate it. You can also find us on Facebook. Uh, Leave a message or comment there. We also post some related content uh, during the week, some videos uh, of the upcoming music and uh, other quirky things. Uh, we got a nice... Reply on Facebook from uh, Nadev Berkovitz this week. Yeah. Uh, We featured his uh, debut album, Waking the Heart, I think back in episode 51. And uh, he got back to us. (laughs) How long ago uh, was that? (laughs) He finally found out about it. (laughs) He finally noticed. uh, But he listened to the whole episode and he was pretty happy about it. So I...
0: Yeah, I was happy he listened. That's cool.
1: Yeah, I posted the uh, studio version of that one cut from his album also on the Facebook. So if you haven't listened to that... uh, Stop by and check out that video.
0: Then he he posts like you can get the CD here, and I had bought the CD three months ago. He's he's a little behind there. Yeah, yeah. Anyway,
1: better late than never. Yeah. And if you want to uh, get in touch uh, directly with any other comments or questions, we'd be happy to hear from you by email at adultmusicpodcast all one word at gmail dot com. Yeah. Write to us. Yeah. Write to us. Uh, a special welcome to the new listeners on uh, Samsung and uh, we've got a lot of downloads from that uh, integration into their app. We're also live on Podchaser and iHeartRadio now so we'll see if uh, we pick up some more listeners there. And uh, I usually save it for the end of the podcast but uh, since we also heard from Fast Signs Fast Signs of Staten Island our logo designer we want to give thanks to them for our eye catching that really popping neon uh, logo that probably makes all these uh, people on the platforms click on us in the first place. Um, yeah. So, you know, you see that logo there, if that was on a door and you're walking down the street, you'd walk right in just to see what adult <laughs> music was, you know, <laughs> see all the girls in there and the polls, uh, you know, you would just go in and thus uh, so we have to thank, uh,
0: I think that's why we're not getting interviews now is because of the logo, <laughs> the artist don't want to. Yeah.
1: So if you're in the <laughs> you know, the greater New York metropolitan area and you need to sign, what do you got, a pizza parlor? Waste management?
0: Yeah, pizza pizza parlor. There's a there's a story. he told us a story about that when he wrote. You wanna tell us about that? You you tell it. He likes your voice better.
1: There was a pizza parlor <laughs> and he wanted to sign. And he was gonna put it on the bakery that was blocking his access, right? And uh, yeah. but he didn't ask them. And he said, "If they don't like it, I'll blow it up." <laughs>
0: <laughs> Fast Signs didn't say that. The owner on no, 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 the pizza the, parlor the pizza said
1: parlor that. Owner didn't. Yeah. So uh, whatever you got, you got a uh, pizza parlor, a vacuum repair shop. Go to Fast Signs and uh, get the logo of your dreams. Uh, yeah, you should increase your downloads or your customers or your, your pizza pie distribution. Yeah. And uh, yeah so we appreciate that,
0: yeah, I want to tell a little story. I keep uh, busting on my brother for like you know last week i I asked him about the uh how how are our Italian accents, and this week we did the New York accents. we're always asking him is that accent okay with you or you know rich at uh uh fast signs it's because of there's a bet there's a there's a story behind this which doesn't involve him or fast science. It's something that happened to me in college um you where you went to Boston. Right. I went to Boston University. Boston. Okay? Yeah. Yeah. And um I played in like bands back then. Kind of we were pretty much garage rock sort of things. And uh a friend of mine had a was playing at a club and he asked me to come. And I went. And um he played and then after uh, he finished playing, he <laughs> he asked me so so what did you think? And I I was like, yeah, it was really good. And he's like, no, 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 tell me. What did, what did you really think? Cause he, he was kind of, he didn't really think it went well. So, so he, after a little bit of coaxing, I said, well, I thought that the, uh, you know, the vocals could have been a little higher in the mix and maybe the, uh, you know, the whole mix was too loud. And, 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 and I, I kept going, finding new things that was wrong. Oh, jeez. That were wrong with the thing. Oh, and then there was this and there was this. So anyway. And he just kind of thanked me and it's like, what do I, but the next time I went out to hear them, he, he came up to me before the gig started, he started asking me like all these really stupid questions. Like, you know, where, where do you think I should put the drums? Should I put them in the front or, you know, and he was just busting on me because oh, okay. he was kind of, you know, yeah. kind of, because I had said too much. Right. He says, do you think I should get the, make the drummer, you know, put the drummer in front with his back to the audience? And he was saying, or maybe I could have him, you know, mm. one drum in each corner and he'd have to run to... <laughs> and i i got it you know he just kept going right. on it's like what do you think if i do this what do you think you know right. so uh that's that's why i'm asking my brother all the time it was, it's kind of a throwback to my college days really i see yeah it was funny i got the idea but he shouldn't have asked he shouldn't have insisted you know <laughs> here on here on adult music you get honest uh appraisals of the music we hear
1: that's right that's no right paid, no paid reviews here we don't even review we just discuss we discuss,
0: we, we discuss our opinion of these things. We're not trying to give, we're not really trying to be critics, are we? We just want to say what we liked and didn't like about something and things we think you should listen to. And we're trying to be, we're, I think we're trying to be more like influencers than critics.
1: Well, what you know? I see, like we were talking about earlier, the gap between the amount of music that comes on to digital distribution every day and what mm-hmm. shows up in recommended lists on any platform is huge. Yeah. uh and so much just goes in and you know mm. gets uh, swept away by the next wave of things uh i spend about an hour a day just searching through all of it and noting all these great things and uh i think uh this is music that people would enjoy so i'm happy to I think so too. scoop yeah. up you know the best ones most interesting ones or enjoyable ones that come out and try to get them out there so that uh, we can share them with other people that's what it's all about
0: I had a friend of mine – I was kind of wondering, though. I had a friend of mine uh, that asked me um, for some contemporary jazz recommendations because he Mm -hmm. wanted to hear some contemporary jazz. And I just thought of just things that I I really enjoyed listening that were sort of fun to listen to. And um, one of them was – there's a composition by um, Keith Jarrett called The Wind-Up. And Mm -hmm. um, Branford Marsalis covered it on, I think, what was his latest album – which was a few years ago I hope he didn't unless he put out a new one recently I don't know but it's a really fantastic performance and part of what's so exciting about it is some of the you know the surprising key changes or sort of approaches to that and I'm thinking you know people who don't listen to a lot of music who don't really know the vocabulary aren't really going to notice things like this so I'm kind of wondering I mean he might enjoy the energy of the piece but um, I was kind of wondering if this was a good recommendation or not
1: well hold that thought because I've got something special for everyone thinking about that kind of thing with the jazz program tonight and a little story to go with it so we have some very um, appealing jazz recordings yeah. tonight and good things come in three tonight
0: yeah you you might say uh we've got a uh a trio going on here because we have a lot of trios, just
1: between the two of us, that is.
0: <laughs> <laughs> just between the two of us, there's a yes. menage of trio going. It's, it's me, you, and the albums we listen to. That's that's the
1: trio. That's all we need to get hot and bothered tonight. Right, and me so too. let's. Uh, where are we going to start out in the classical? All
0: right. Well, before we start
1: classical,
0: um, yo, oh, what's that sound? That's right. It's time for Musical Necrology again. We hear our theme from last week, which I explained what it means. It is the uh, Dies Irae, the death theme in a lot of um, pieces. And um, we have another musical death this week. And this week it was the uh, organist and conductor Simon Preston. He was a British organist, better known as an organist. And he died on May 13th. And I wanted to mention him because he was my introduction to... uh, him and um, another organist who I, I won't mention, cause I'm talking about Preston today, uh, was my introduction to box organ works back in, um, I guess the 1990s when I really first started listening to them on record, he recorded for Deutsche Grammophone and he did a fantastic, uh, really energetic performance of the very famous, uh, toccata and fugue in D minor. So, uh, he was my introduction to that entire work. I mean, I, I have of course heard the, um, the opening on, you know, uh, Horror movies, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> things like that. Of course, yeah. they use the opening for the Baca to kind of fugue in D minor in horror movies, but they shouldn't because it's really a deeply spiritual work, as are mm-hmm. mo- most of Bach's work, actually, pretty much all of them. But, uh, and then there's the wonderful fugue that comes afterwards. Um, worth hearing and give uh, Simon Preston a nod this week. Download that and listen to him. Okay. He was, uh, he was a great organist and, uh, he will be missed.
1: Rest in peace.
0: Yes. Okay. No no more deaths this week. I feel better that, that's where that's out of the way. Okay, now speaking of the organ, today in classical music now we, we talked about trios, but I've got the uh the odd man out, uh or the odd album out this week. And it's an it's uh cantatas and organ works by Nikolaus Bruns, um German I'm pretty sure he was German um uh, composer. Um And this is by the Yale Institute of Sacred Music, uh, conducted by Masaaki Suzuki, Japanese um, conductor, mostly of Baroque and box music. And he worked Mm. at uh, Kobe, really not too far away from where we are. Um, Now he's sort of an international star. So there's that. He plays the organ and he uh, directs. And this is on the Beast label. And it is an SACD, as are most, if not all, Beast recordings this year this um, week so if you have the equipment you can hear this in a wonderful dsd um uh velvety smooth uh, (laughs) recorded sound uh that that samples at uh 96 kilohertz what is it per second or per minute i don't know 96 kilohertz uh a regular cd samples at i think 46 kilohertz or something like that right so this is um double the uh, sampling rate and if it's recorded in DSD, you get this really wonderful, warm sound out of it. Bruns is, in fact, a uh, in in fact, and also if you have a, the if you have speakers too, and the right equipment, you can actually hear this in surround as well, which I did. I have like uh, my tiny surround system, which still sounds very rich. It's really nice. And I want to say, if you have surround recordings, organ surround organ recordings are the best because. They um, simulate the experience of listening to an organ in a church really well. When you're in a church, and especially if you're in one of these wonderful, um, you know, European ca- gigantic cathedrals like, uh, you know, Notre Dame before it burned down. Although I think the organ there is is uh, has been restored now.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Well, really, just about anywhere else. I remember being in Paris and at 5 p.m. Um, on Wednesdays. I think at at um, a student would give a free concert like every Wednesday. There were students at the uh, music schools and they had to, you know, practice. So you get to go in and hear their concert. And it was just really wonderful. It's free. You're in this wonderful space. You know, uh, it's really some, something uh, very nice just uh, having a musical life like that. And it's free. Anyway, um, the organ... You, you you obviously don't put a mic right up to the organ pipes you set them up on the floor somewhere and the organ sound comes from above you know it's like the voice of God descending on you and uh, I think the uh, five channel SACD captures that really well because you've got rear speakers which are really more um, they're ambient you know so, but it gives the it gives a bit of dimensionality to it and you got mm-hmm. a also a subwoofer and the, uh, the bass pedal sounds spectacular <laughs> coming out of that it's really great
1: there's some uh pretty intense organ on this uh, recording i have to say
0: there is there's yeah. that
1: one piece that yeah the <laughs> uh, pretty, not the uh, pretty crazy. Yeah, what was
0: that it was uh prelude the preludium yeah the great preludium it had the nickname the great okay we'll get to that in a moment first of all let me tell you who was uh nicolaus bruns well he um oh i wrote his dates wrong here what did i see here How'd, how who we got got a typo there 1665 to 1697 i I wrote 1695 (laughs) i just hit the wrong key okay 1665 to 1697 and that means that he was 31 years old when he died all Mm. right so this guy pretty much died before he even got going um that's not always the case by the way there are composers like schubert uh, franz schubert who died uh, very young and left behind like more works than you would think it would be possible for an 80-year-old to write, you mm. know. But uh, I don't know. I think those guys never went outside. They just kind of were scribbling along on their um, paper. And the, also people like Chopin died really young as well. And he has a – he didn't write a lot, but he he kept producing, let's just say. So there are a lot of Chopin works. And there are uh, – Mozart, of course, famously died, you know, very young. George Gershwin, you know, in the 20th century. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Anyway, so Bruins is, um. you know how in rock music you have the uh, 27 you know, school? Yeah. Like Jim Morrison, Josh Joplin, Jimi Hendrix, they all died at 27. Well, it looks like uh, a lot of the, the people who die in um classical music died in their, like, 30s, maybe around 35 yeah. or
1: so. It's the 1600s after all, too. So.
0: Yeah, but not <laughs> always. Gersh, Gershwin also had, he had cancer, though. Mm. Um, yeah, 1600s, 1700s, 1800s. Anyway, um, so Bruns was 31 years old when he died. Um, so when he died, Bach was 12 years old. So he's he preceded Bach. Bach would have become familiar with his music through his studies.
1: And I have to say, this music, despite being quite early there, uh, it has a lot of complexities, subtleties, and variation to hold your interest. I was uh, impressed beyond my expectations with it. Right. Not only that,
0: it had what we know as the "Stilus Fantasticus" from an album we heard uh, last year, um, or yeah, I'm pretty sure it was last year. Maybe it was this year. Maybe February. I don't remember. Winter just always goes by in a blur. But uh, which means like the that the um, the thematic material will just change to a contrasting theme without any sort of. Um, Sort of uh, preparation or anything, and this, this, Mm -hmm. these um, juxtaposed moods. So we hear a lot of that in Bruns's music. He was a a part of that. Think about Bruns though: only twelve of his vocal works and five organ compositions survive. Um, And uh, this is a volume one of uh, uh, Suzuki's um, releases of Bruns's music. He's apparently going to do all of it, and that looks like it'll fit on three CDs. About so. We'll we'll probably get two more volumes in this set. Okay, we hear two of the surviving organ works here. And um he was from uh, let's, he was from Schwabstedt. Oh. And in his time he was known as a great violin virtuoso, and you're gonna to wanna to keep that in mind when you hear these works. They're not violin works, they're um cantatas, but there's a lot of pretty um Arabesque like um Violin playing in them a lot of times it'll be uh two violins, but one of the violins is more virtuosic than the other. He was probably playing that violin while he conducted these works. Mm. um He is said to have composed works for the violin and the viola da gamba, but these compositions are not preserved. We don't know what they sound like; they're lost., Ugh. maybe someone will find them in a cellar somewhere one day, some church uh you know <laughs> catacomb or something that happens. Uh, Bruns went to Lübeck and took organ and composition lessons from the spectacularly named Dietrich Buxtehude. I like that name a lot, Buxtehude. I wish he's—he is one of the great composers. I like
1: Buxtehude's music a lot. Yeah, it's I like it
0: a lot. Yeah, and he was—yeah, Bach actually is said to—Johann um, Sebastian Bach is said to have um, traveled um, um, for days on foot just to hear Buxtehude play the organ, because wow. when he was a young man. When, when Bach was a young man.
1: And I thought climbing the fence to see Crosby, Stills, and Nash was a, a big feat. You know? <laughs> did, did you do that? I jumped the fence when I was, yeah. Wow. Teenager, how, how, what, what year was this? Oh, it was around 85, 86
0: or something. Okay, so it wasn't really yeah. in their heyday then. No, no. Okay. No, it would have yeah. been too
1: small to climb the fence then. Right, that, yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> anyway,
0: Buxtehude sent um, Bruns to Copenhagen in Denmark, where he worked as a violinist and composer from 18, 1686 sorry, to 1689. And he met Italian musicians there, who were pretty much the the movers and shakers in the early Baroque era, um, uh, who made a deep impression on him. You know, they had a lot of ideas, the Italians. They pretty much invented the Baroque style, and they still had a lot of ideas about it at this time. In 1689, Bruns returned home and became organist in the town of Husum, where a really great uh, festival is held every year now of piano rarities. I really would love to go to that one day. Mm. Um, the organ in Husum was built by the leading Hamburg organ builder Gottfried Fritsch. Fritz, I don't know how to say this. Fritsch. To conform to the sound concept that he had learned from Buxtehude. So we're hearing that. On this recording. Okay, we're hearing that organ. Uh, Brun stayed in Husum until his death. I should probably check that to make sure that it's right. Because I, I don't remember I said that. I just sort of thought that the notes implied that uh, Suzuki was playing this organ. Um, I will check that as we uh, talk about the music. Um, oh, you know, he Suzuki has like albums of him playing Books to Huda. I should probably look into that. He's playing the... I'm sorry, he's not. He's playing the uh, Kriegbaum organ in Marquand Chapel, New Haven. New Haven, Connecticut? (laughs) I don't know. Or maybe the Builders. (laughs) Yeah, but it's a 2007 organ. Sorry, he's not playing an old organ here. Although, this isn't a big, earth-shaking organ. It's got like very particular sounds to it and to its bass. Um, We'll get to that in a moment because we're going to hear that soon. Well, you're going to have to hear it on your own. I'll... I'll talk about it. Anyway, check the link below. Okay, so we start this program with a De Profundus, um, which is a uh, setting of Psalm 130, if you want to look up the words. Um, this is a concerto for bass, two violins, and basso continuo, which is pretty much the harmony, the chords, and things like that. Okay, the um, baritone here is Paul Max Tipton, and he will be the uh, bass baritone for uh, the entire recording when there's a bass baritone um this setting um it's kind of nice it portrays the ascent from the emotional depths of being far from god in its music so the music kind of ascends as the work goes on it goes higher and higher in frequency up the scale until we um i guess god answers and the uh, violin parts also gradually rise upwards and you're going to want to Pay attention to that to really get a little extra musical enjoyment out of this piece. Although it's enjoyable enough if you just kind of play it in the background. Um, Musically, the plea for God's help, because the the psalm goes, you know, from the uh, depths I cry to you, of my despair I cry to you, or something like that, to to God. Um, So we can hear the uh, pleas in uh, the uh, chromatic parts. Chromatic means that they're... (sighs) There, there's not a really a major or minor key there's well there are but there's all these extra notes added in so that we don't we kind of lose our sense of direction and that would kind of mean imply being lost spiritually as well i guess we're not really aligned with um the key direction that the piece is going to go in if there's a lot of chromaticism in it uh the bass soloist takes uh the musical motifs perseveres with them organically and then there's a concluding amen at the end um this is a really first of all beautiful sound on this recording and uh spectacular in uh super audio cd um the cd recording i'm sure is great there's also always a cd layer on super audio cd so you get to hear the um the lower frequency recording too but it sounded great there are pretty violin arabesques playing around each other and um i, I thought i heard a theorbo in this with very subtle. Um, organ is basso continuo. The organ doesn't really step out until later. At the beginning he fills out harmony with chords. And the organ of course is Masaki Suzuki. Uh the bass voice really does rise from the depths. He starts on his lowest notes as he sings the opening words de profundus from the deep or from the darkness. Um the voice is clear and uh it's secure. Um it's not ex- it's not really um what's what's the word um um It doesn't really grab your attention very much, but it's solid. It's a a good voice. I enjoyed it enough. Uh, Tipton has a wide range. He's a bass baritone, so he's got sort of um, extra notes in his range. And we get some lighter sounds from here near the top of his range as well, which is pretty impressive, I have to say. Uh, I enjoyed him more in the uh, cheerful-sounding musical passages, as when he sings the second line, "Domine, Domine exaudi voce meam. So, if you can pick that out. Uh... Lord, hear my um, voice. Okay, or pay attention to my voice. This um, work goes back and forth between cheerful and sad, as in a Stilus fantasticus. So we hear those two emotions juxtaposed, and um, we go from one to the other without any um, warning. Uh, where the style will suddenly change to provide contrast. And by the end, the organ is in the foreground. I guess the organ would be the voice of God here coming from above accompanying the voice and the violins and this ends with a brief melismatic amen that's going to be a or amen is the way they pronounce it Uh, melisma this is going to be a word you're going to have to uh, know for this recording melisma is when you sing different notes on the same vowel So um, there's a lot of that in this recording. It was a very popular technique. What I mean is like you're singing amen. You'd be like, ah, 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 ah." and that's And all these different notes would be melisma. You have a single vowel that's just being held over sung legato in all these different registers. It's not something you
1: have to see your doctor for, right?
0: Not something you have to see your doctor for. In fact, it's something your doctor should give you to heal you, actually. Yeah, so maybe if you listen to a lot of melisma, you won't even have to go to the doctor. What do you think of that? <laughs> Sounds good. That's the way I feel anyway.
1: <laughs> have some melisma for your acid reflux or something. I, I like some melisma. Mm. Mm. Okay.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I remember Robert Greenberg once told me when he defined melisma, he was like talking about a piece. He says, that that vocalist is melisma-ing all over the place. It <laughs> works well as a Somebody verb. Get like him up. <laughs> Somebody get a mop. Somebody get a mop. Oh my God all right tracks two and three we get another um sacred concerto here. This one uh, features a tenor again to a violence in Basso continuo. It's called jaukset dem Herren alle welt now I want to ask my brother Rich how was my German there? Did you think that German pronunciation was okay? just wanted to make sure <laughs> <laughs> uh rejoice uh the Lord of the world uh, for the or for the Lord of the world or something like that. This is uh, the tenor is uh, James Taylor, uh, not the guy that sang Fire and Rain, as you'll notice uh, right away. He's a very different voice. Okay, I guess there are a lot of James Taylors out in mm-hmm. there. Both kind After of tenors. Duran Duran yeah. had three Taylors in it. You know, so <laughs> anyway, this starts with no instrumental intro. The singer just comes right in and praises God in a wide ranging exultant solo with no accompaniment Uh, the two violins join after the singer has sung the words several times in expanding figurations so in other words each sort of um melodic line gets longer as though he's like gaining confidence in his um in his um words here um for the lines er hat uns gemacht zu schaffen seine weide it is he who has made us, the sheep of his pasture. We get a, suddenly get a swaying three-beat meter and harmonious parallels in the part writing between the instruments and the tenor. Uh, and they create a pastoral mood. So, like, we're the sheep. So we get, like, uh, pastoral music, the kind of things that you'd hear in the countryside. Lots of parallel fifths in the bass and pedal points and things like that. And also kind of threes. They, they play in threes a lot. This is split, so this piece is uh, split into two sections, two tracks, and it's it's really one piece. You may as well just hear it as one thing, because it's it's not as though they're two different movements. Um, This is a much brighter, obviously from the title, Yaukset, it's, you know, celebrate. um, A far more cheerful and brighter work than the De Profundus. And the tenor, tenor voice has a lot of melisma on the vowel sounds right away, just, you know, without... Without uh, the accompaniment so he he melismas all over the place and we feel better because of that Uh, neither the baritone or this tenor are particularly like warm timbreed like characterful voices like they don't really grab your attention but they sound really good there's really no I have no issue with these voices it's just they're not yeah, like really famous or great voices, I guess is what it is. Um, they're both idiomatic though, and they're satisfying. I thought um, the only th- uh, charisma—they're missing a bit of charisma, I would say. Um, but that's hardly melisma a without
1: charisma. Yeah,
0: there's melisma without charisma. Well, for me, melisma can replace charisma. What do you think of that? Because if there's melisma, I don't need charisma. I should call my two daughters that, Melisma and Charisma, if I have if I ever have daughters. <laughs> Melisma, come here. <laughs> the tenor here is really put through his paces as far as melismatic mus- musical phrases go. Uh this section has a dancing happy rhythm. This is the Yaugsetam Herren Welt section. Um the tenor actually fades a bit into the room sound at times. So he's as though he's backing away from the microphone, you, like you kind of hear him, his voice like echoing off the walls of the record of the room, and uh, he never gets lost, so it's not really a problem, but it's noticeable. Um, I guess you know when singers are emoting, they're not really standing still, so they pr- they probably move away from the mic or something. Once we get to quieter passages where the tenor sings "Er hat uns gemacht" as above, we hear the tenor's subtlety of tone. He's actually very good in the quiet passages. There aren't many of them, though, so we don't get to hear him in those. Uh, he's best in those passages, and um, but he sings at high volume for most of the piece. All right. The second um, part of this is called Gate zu, zu Seinen Toren Ein. I need a drink. Mm. Hey, a whiskey tonight. Oh. I've been dry for like over a month now, so now I'm kind of... <laughs> Last week, I was kind of tripping over too many words. I said, like, I need some whiskey to wet my whistle. Anyway. Gate Zu Seinen Toren Ein. Uh, This follows without a pause, so that's that's why I said this is really should be heard as just a single thing. Uh, And this starts with only violins. This section, Uh, the vocalist phrase has ended, and then we just hear the violins. And when he comes in, he has again some long melismatic lines. On the line mit Danken that ends the first phrase with thanks, mit Danken, we get a nice solo crescendo from the tenor. Yeah, I thought that was really uh, impressive, actually. Taylor has enough shadings in his tone to keep his singing interesting, and there's a nice surge in energy for the last line, Jauchset dem Herren alle which is the line we started with. Okay, fourth track. Here we are with the first organ solo work. There are two. This is the preludium in E minor, nicknamed The Great. Preludium in E minor. And this one really stood out, I think, for both of us. This is pretty yeah. impressive.
1: Yeah, Especially the entrance, it really slams you.
0: Yeah, I, I actually wrote the word,
1: whoa. Yeah, me too. <laughs> really- I got that there, W-O-A-H <laughs> exclamation, exclamation point. point. Yeah, <laughs> awesome organ entrance, yep. All right.
0: Yeah, it's pretty impressive. So put that on and strap yourself into your chair and be ready to have your hair blown back like in that old Maxel ad from <laughs> uh, when we were in college long ago. That I that? bet there are people out there who will remember that, actually. Oh, yeah. They're probably around our age. Um, That was in the 80s. Um, This piece, by the way, has five sections, like many of Buxtehude's organ works, so he's definitely stylistically uh, um, following Buxtehude, and also the Stilus Fantasticus. It contains free-fantasizing, toccata-like sections and brief, strictly constructed fugues, and it's very noticeable when the the, uh, sections change. Um, So this starts out with some complex intersecting lines with high energy. Then we get that satisfying bass pedal. Now, the bass on this, a lot of times, like last week, I was talking about uh, bass water, <laughs> you getting into oh, the bass, bass water, pool yeah. and feeling, ooh, that'd be a good perfume, bass water. We should put that out. That's <laughs> our reti- another retirement strategy for us, for me and Russ. Fragrances. Bass water cologne. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um but it doesn't have that satisfying kind of sound um the um bass pedal kind of honks in its lowest notes it, it actually sounds like a like a deep brass instrument
1: I was going to say this organ yeah. really creates like a low brass ensemble type yeah. of uh timbre to it uh it doesn't sound like uh you know pipes it it has a real brass characteristic yeah. to it
0: He does get pipe sounds at the end of the recording, though, in some of those works. But yeah, a lot of it is very brassy sounding. Mm. And when we say that, it has the the round, well-defined sound of a brass instrument as opposed to like this spread sort of tone that kind of melts into the tones Mm. next to it so that you don't hear any silence at all or any space. Um, So we get a lot of space on this organ. It's
1: pretty interesting. But this piece does have that maniacal... Character to it, <laughs> it really you really like what an uh, organ does these kind of uh, things. It's uh, it's it's pretty satisfying. I'd call it great, yeah.
0: Yeah, Suzuki is is also a, he's a, he's a bit of, he's a pretty he's a pretty restrained conductor and organ player, mm. and so I I have his uh, Takada kind of and Fugan. D minor by Bach, um, and he doesn't really just slam down the, the bass pedals on that work. Right. But here, yeah, he's he sounds like he's uh, going a little berserk there. He's getting into yeah. the whole German mode of this.
2: It's a lot of fun. Um,
0: yeah, he gets good definition out of the opposing voices when he plays the fugal material, which I really enjoyed hearing. That was the more mellow material. It's, mm-hmm. it's a little more intellectual. The sounds he uses here are appealing. Uh, listen to around uh, the two-minute mark. I kind of singled that out. He gets something very brass-sounding after the four-minute mark, which sounds fanfarish to me. It sounds like, almost like a fanfare. Uh, Suzuki changes the uh, timbrel settings on the organ fairly often in this piece, and he's got a lot of interesting ideas of how to put across each section by changing the timbrel color. Uh, I enjoyed this performance a lot in the Fantasia section, after 6 minutes and 30 seconds, he plays in a more staccato, detached note fashion, which makes this section stand out from the others. It's got a rather undramatic ending, though. Uh, the piece ends on a tonic. And this is going to be the case with the rest of the pieces we hear. It ends on a tonic chord, which is the home chord. But it doesn't sound like a completely tension-releasing tension cadence. The piece just stops. It, it sounds like it, it he, he hits the tonic chord and then lets go and... That's it. The piece is over. Mm -hmm. You kind of expect a new section to start. And that happens a lot on this recording. I think he should have held it longer, but I don't know. Maybe he's going by uh, exactly what's in the score. Okay, we get back to some um, vocals here. Mein Herz ist bereit. Secret concerto for bass, violin, and basso continuo. Here we have uh, Paul Max Tipton back as the bass baritone. Um, This starts uh, with a sinfonia, so there's no singing. Sort of like in the Baroque era, if you've heard any of um, Henry Purcell's Hmm. uh, overtures, they usually have like a slow section, fast section, slow section, or alternating like that. This gives the uh, solo violinist an opportunity to show off before the vocalist joins in. And the dialogue between the singer and the violin uh, resembles a Baroque trio sonata in which the two solo parts exchange motifs. The piece begins by the violin playing arabesque-like lines for the opening adagio. Then on to a dancing dotted rhythm for the middle presto section at about the one-minute mark. Uh, Back to adagio, and then the baritone comes in repeating the title. Uh, Mein Herz ist bereit. My heart is steadfast. Bereit. Okay. And he sings it in a steadfast way, so there's some musical matching of the line, which I really rather enjoyed. Always kind of makes me happy when I hear that. I like Tipton's melismatic singing <laughs> again, melisma. <laughs> I was going to make a joke, but I'll let it go. <laughs> he gets, a, <laughs> I think, I think we'd all be better off if I didn't say that one. Okay, he gets a satisfyingly sturdy breath and tone throughout. This is uh, Paul Max Tipton, the bass baritone, the string accompaniment. For the words, auf" features appoggiaturas on each note and makes a real impression. I really like the uh, the chords descend and there's sort of an appoggiatura on each chord, so it's kind of dissonant and then resolves. It's it's really ni- a nice effect. Tipton can be surprisingly light and nimble, as he is on the words, "fru will ich auf wachen." I will wake up the dawn. That happens at the five-minute mark. Give it a listen. After this, there's a more brooding section and we get an excellent low note on the word Vulcan, Vulcan at the end of the phrase. Not uh, the uh, Star Trek uh, Mr. Spock Vulcan, but uh, the the people, the folk, Vulcan. Hmm. (laughs) Another nice low bass note at the conclusion of the last Alleluia. This piece ends with a, a melismatic Alleluia. And that's the way... They should be. Right, by the way, I'm only at track five. And I want to say there are 13 tracks of this album. And this is a really long album. It's 86 minutes, uh, which is very impressive for a single CD release.
1: That's why I didn't hold the end notes very long, because they didn't know if it was all going to fit on one disc, I think.
0: You know, I wonder. They could have held one of them.
1: Isn't there? I don't know. Did you, is this the one in the album notes where it says, the last two tracks may not play if you start from only those because the disc is... I didn't read is, that, but it, it's yeah, possible. Yeah, I think, I think that's one because uh, I it's really that, extending though. the capacity uh, capabilities yeah. of one disc.
0: I've never had that issue, though, because I've heard some records that uh, have gone... Depends on the, the player. but yeah, The limit of a CD traditionally is 80 minutes, yeah. but now they've figured out a way to extend it all the way up to 86 minutes. Or, when you
1: get the laser that far close to the maximum yeah. capacity sometimes you can't start on the last two tracks so you've got to actually begin yeah. before there somewhere
0: but have you had that with your uh not any nice of equipment? my players but i i've read yeah. about it so yeah i've never had that either we have pretty decent equipment though so i guess they build it with that in mind that that might happen anyway okay tracks six through eight uh paratum kodameum uh, Sacred Concerto for two tenors, bass, violin, bass meaning bass voice, violin, two violas de gamba, and basso continuo. So we hear the whole ensemble here. Uh, two tenors, and um, Dan Cokewell is the uh, the new tenor. Then we hear James Taylor and Paul Max Tipton as the bass baritone. In this piece, the Aoleluia is at the beginning. Uh, it is used for a contratante dialogue between the two tenors and strings, who are joined later by the bass. And then there's a uh, homophonic setting of the text. Please, homophonic means there's one line and the others are accompanying. So there's one line that's more important than the others, as opposed to polyphonic where you have several different melodies and they're all of equal importance. So basically, if you listen to pop songs, they're homophonic (laughs) because they have a melody and the rest is just... If
1: you're lucky these days.
0: (laughs) (laughs) If you're lucky, you don't even get that. Oh, boy. I was thinking of the Beatles or something like that. Okay, so Bruns highlights with melismas the words that describe singing and music-making, like cantare and salare. They don't pronounce the P, but uh, psalm, like to praise. Salare Mm. is to praise. Um, So lots of melismas on the song words. Listen for those. I think I may have pointed them out in my notes here. Okay, this starts with the Alleluia. Uh, Mid-tempo, rather modestly. This one starts out rather modestly, which is kind of nice to hear um, for a change, because we've had all this really either profoundly deep or very upbeat music so far. We hear a lot of echoes in the violin line and the other instruments. The orchestral introduction is extended, and the vocals come in with an alleluia overlapping each other. And it's nice to hear, this is a nice variety, it's nice to hear multiple voices here. On the uh, words uh, paratum cormeum, we're in 3-4. suddenly. And the voices glide over the words. I like these three male voices together. They blend well. The end of the line switches to 4-4 and stays there for the rest of this section. This is track 6. This is a three-track piece. A very cheerful text, by the way. It's Psalm 57, if you want to read it, verses 8-12. to The second part or section again this should all be thought of as one um work without you know it has more than three sections but the um cd has or the um streaming has divided it into three sections um confite in populis domine this starts as a recitative in one of the tenors i'm guessing it's taylor um james taylor then goes on to melismatic singing for the second line more melisma we're being melismed. <laughs> on this album um, on the second line it's et salam tibi in nationibus so you have that word salam um, the spelling of psalm right um, and uh, so listen for the melisma on that I will praise you among the nations that means by the way et salam tibi in nationibus that's Latin the se- how's my Latin Rich <laughs> 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 Just want, just want to check Uh, the section alternates between solemn and joyful, and this section is for a single voice only. I wonder if he he listens this long into the podcast. Find out. Find out. I I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Third bit: Exaltare super celos Deus. Celos is heaven. Um, this starts in Latin. Uh, this they don't say coelos; they always say celos. This starts as a slow, cheerful harmony. All three voices come back for the conclusion. And for the last line, we go to a highly defined, dotted rhythm. A sudden, noticeable change in the texture. Very appealing. And again, there's a sudden stop on the final chord. The piece just ends. All right. Track nine, we get to the other organ solo work, which is very different than the first one we heard. Um, this is uh, Nuncom der Highland, And if you listen to a lot of Bach's... Um, choral music, you'll, you probably know this title. It's also been set as a, um, solo organ work, uh, in, you know, Bach said it also as a solo organ work as well. Anyway, we're hearing another version of it here. Um, this is, um, one of Martin Luther's, um, Advent chorales. He wrote the words. And at that time, um, all those Protestants like, uh, Bruns and, uh, Johann Sebastian Bach, probably the most famous Protestant ever, um, used a lot of Martin Luther's words this um particular organ work sets um or keeps in mind a line from uh martin Luther's zava chorale only one stanza and despite it's like 10 minute length of the um organ work each melody line is illuminated musically in a different way appealing in richly decorated permutations and there are extended echo sections and adioso like solos adioso meaning like an opera all right, and supported by accompanying voices on a separate manual. So he's got uh, two different keyboards on this organ, and he gets a different sound out of one of them. So we hear a lot of um, really interesting juxtapositions of timbre on this piece. Um, the timbre used on the organ sounds are uh, reedy at the beginning, sort of like a mm-hmm. wind instrument, playing a pastoral. And whenever he has a solo line, it's like he'll change the timbre, the instrument, on one of the manuals, so it'll sound different than the accompaniment it's really
1: nice yeah it gets darker as it goes to the end i noticed on this piece yeah
0: yeah the voices all come in in sort of a a fugue fashion i guess because they all they're staggered they all sort of imitate the line but this is i don't think this is a fugue it doesn't act like one generally the theme will appear in a different register and the rest of the organ basically accompanies uh this is a set of This is really a series of variations on the opening with full cadences between each variation. Suzuki subtly changes the timbre of the organ on each variation. Nice performance and beautifully recorded and a nice full bass pedal to end the piece as it should be. There should be more bass pedal. As I mentioned last week, I just want a recording that's just bass pedal. (laughs) Just for an hour. I would love that. (laughs) I think it might... uh, it might set me free somehow. (laughs) Spiritually. (laughs) All right. Track 10. Der Herr hat seinen Stuhl in Himmel bereitet. By now we know what bereitet means, right? (laughs) Steadfastness. Uh, Sacred Concerto for bass, two violins, two violas, and basso continuo. So you can actually learn German by listening to, um, or some German by listening to, uh, (laughs) like, a lot of classical, these Baroque, pieces because they use the same words over and over Mm -hmm. again there it's sort of uh, so you get to know what they mean after a while Um, this one has uh, Paul Max Tipton back as the bass baritone Um, um, by the way there are two violas in this uh, as well as violins and that would allude to a French model the French Baroque composers liked the viola Mm. Uh, the first violin is highlighted and sometimes competes with the bass vocalist in virtuoso manner. So Bruns probably would have been playing the uh, violin at these original performances. Uh, whenever you hear the words "lobet den Heren, um, which I guess praise the Lord, uh, you can because it occurs in this text a lot. So uh, whenever that happens, you'll hear the um, the vocalist um, doing like a big melisma, and then the violin will come in and um, imitate him. You could hear that at the three minute mark, the four minute mark, just after the five minute thirty second mark, and at the very end. So this starts out light with uh, swooping violin melodies, along with lower violas and organ accompaniment as basso continuo. Uh, The bass soloist is in his, or bass baritone, is in his idiom here, singing in his lower range at a slowish pace, so he can luxuriate in the richness of his tone. I think this is the best performance he gives on the album, um, track ten. Meanwhile, all of the string soloists are very active as Tipton sings, but, and between his verses, they're active as well. He hits the very low note of the work on the word Herrschaft after the six-minute mark squarely, but doesn't get much tone out of it. We didn't really... He, he kind of mm. gets off it really quickly, I didn't really get to enjoy that, the bottom falling out. That would have been really wonderful. Um, would have been good to hear. Uh, Tipton gets the ending, Alleluia, fireworks mostly to himself as the strings dance along in accompaniment. And another sudden ending. Finally, we're at the last piece. Another three-tracker that really is a, should be one track, I think. Uh, "Er Erstanden ist der Heilige Christ. Um, I guess standing or resurrected is the Holy Christ. These are all religious works, obviously. Big in the Baroque era. Uh, here we have uh, Dan Cockwell and uh, James Taylor as the two tenors. This is an Easter chorale, needless to say. Hmm. And uh, based on the late medieval hymn, uh, Serexit Christus Hodie, Today Christ is Risen. Each stanza is treated in a different way, but at the end of the third stanza, Bruns returns to the Alleluia setting for the second stanza, and that's what holds this composition together. The first uh, track, track 11, um, there we hear rushing strings; they're almost Vivaldi-like, and mm. very Italian sounding. And so I imagine he must have written this when he was in Copenhagen, when he met his Italian friends. Then we get a more uh, tree branches swaying in the breeze type of melody, in which the rush there, in which the uh, in between the rushing sections, I should say, we hear both soloists with plenty of room reverb surrounding their voices, which nevertheless register clearly. Uh, the Alleluias are sung mainly with a dotted rhythm on the uh, individual syllables, with some melisma squeezed in on the vocal sa- the vowel sounds. Sorry, the organ provides continuo. We get to the second verse for track uh, 12, which is the second part. Um, Und wer er nicht erstanden. This section starts with the vocals and is less perky than the previous, though the melisma remains. The vocal line is again a swaying, dotted rhythm. The word Alleluia gets repeated a lot in this whole setting, and this section ends with an arabesque-filled instrumental section, as did the previous section. Finally we're on the last track, track 13, um, the third verse, Unzeit das er Erstanden ist, starts immediately with vocals more emphatically sung here, still a dotted rhythm, lots of violin figuration accompanies, with organ playing the continuo. A highly melismed, hallelujah, I just verbed that word, um, to the horror of all my European friends, I'm sure. <laughs> Americans do that. It uh, followed the last verse, and this piece ends satisfyingly. They actually hold the last chord on this. Maybe they didn't want it to sound like the album was over, and now the yeah. album's over, so they're holding the last chord a bit to give it a sense of finality. So anyway, I liked this album a lot. It was beautifully recorded, beautifully played. Um, enjoyable Baroque sacred music by a composer who got lost in the shuffle, probably due to his early demise. Because Bach pretty much swept all before him, and we, and he mentioned Buxtehude, how great he was, so we he heard mm. Buxtehude too. But Nikolaus Bruns, not so much until now. There isn't much music by him. It's pleasant music, sometimes powerful, well worth hearing. The recording quality is excellent at Suzuki. Delivers stylishly and maniacally in the preludium. (laughs) So there you go. Recommend it.
1: Yeah, I like this one a lot too. Um, I was impressed by his style of composition, uh, how a lot of the pieces have interesting changes of tempo midway through, uh, constantly giving you a lot of variety in the mood and uh, rhythmic feel of the pieces. Uh, I liked the organ pieces. Uh, breaking up the vocal works in the programming. And I thought uh, those were impressive too. And overall, the sort of ensemble playing is nice. Uh, it's a sparse kind of instrumentation, but the organ weights it out nicely on the lower end. Uh, it's not too overpowering, like you say, in the continuo, but it does give that sort of filling out of the sound. But it's still, you know, not... So much that you can't hear every single part clearly and the recording quality is nice. And then I just enjoyed the wonderful blend of male voices. Uh, the baritone bass has got a really wide range, uh, impresses with uh, all of the different registers he can, uh, sing through. And then you have the different combinations with the tenor and baritone bass, the two tenors together on that one piece. Uh, their sort of uh, interaction is really nice. And then we've got the one piece with all three voices together. Uh, so uh, it's a nice blend of male voices. And yeah, I hope that uh, we can hear more of these uh, Bruns' works by Suzuki because I found them very engaging.
0: Yeah. So, and as we said, this is volume one. There'll probably be, considering he only mm-hmm. wrote 12 choral works, five vocal works, considering what fit on this rather extended album there'll probably be two more in the set that's what i'm guessing but i'll keep an ear out for it and let you know when the next one's out whether we decide to review it or not is necessary i should also mention uh, this recording was made in 2016 2017 and it just got released about a month ago. Oh, They've wow. been sitting on this for quite a while. I mean, they could have released it even before the pandemic started.
1: Maybe they were still trying to squeeze it onto the disc all that time. and they just yeah, Maybe, that's, maybe they there. were doing <laughs> that for five
0: years. Can, can we get all this on here? I don't know. Now we get to the uh, trio section. The uh, we, have, we start our menage a trio. Get excited, listener. Mm. Okay. Because this, for me, was the recording of the week. Um, and, uh, unfortunately, unless you buy it or come to my house, you're not going to get to hear it because it's on Hyperion records. Let me say what it is first. It's a Voldemar Bargiel is the composer and you probably never heard of him. Don't worry. I hadn't either until I heard this.
1: And that's a shame. I've got to say, because this should be right up there with any other, you know, trio and kind of romantic lineup that you have. Uh, It's just wonderful.
0: Yeah, and part of the uh, reason for that, too, is the spectacular performance and recording uh, these two trios get. This is, this is really an amazing album. Um, <laughs> you can't stream it. Uh, it's it's Bargiel's Piano trios 1 and 2, um, played by the Leonore Piano Trio, who I've been following for quite a while. And this really has to be the best recording they've done so far. They've always been good, but uh, this one really seems to go... Um,
1: It's very passionate uh, playing, yeah.
0: Yeah, Yeah, it's fantastic playing. Well-defined. And it's the recording, too, but not just the recording. I mean, the recording is really picking up something
1: special that they're doing. You got an invitation to Mike's house to listen to this wonderful trio recording. So just send send us an email and... uh, We'll Let no me say addition. something about that.
0: Now, if you happen to be one of our American listeners and you find yourself in Japan, feel free to invite yourself to my house and I will uh, be glad to play you these um, some of these recordings. But if you live in my neighborhood, stay away. I don't want you here. You've been here enough times already. Okay. <laughs> okay we 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 know you just want some food that's why you're coming anyway, anyway. Mm. all right, so anyway, let me explain who Voldemar Bargiel is. he's actually related to Clara schumann mm. this is pretty interesting his father this is this is really some story this is so romantic era too if you thought uh if you think um the uh What's his name? Johnny Depp and Amber Heard trial was is weird. <laughs> Wait till <laughs> you hear this. Um, Bargiel's father, Adolf Bargiel. It's, it's funny how everybody had the name Adolf and then uh, <laughs> Hitler came along and then just disappeared off the face of the earth. No no one ever called any of their kids Adolf anymore. Anyway, um, his dad, Adolf, was pals with uh, Friedrich Wieck who was Clara Schumann's father also her teacher because he was a musician himself and he uh he basically gave Clara the um the uh Martha Argerich treatment and like changed her to the piano until she became his great virtuoso <laughs> um he was a, he was her taskmaster as a teacher i just read somewhere that that happened to Martha Argerich. apologies if it didn't but i think she said she had a really severe um tutelage when she was studying the piano Um, somewhere. I'm just remembering from the past. Anyway, so her father and uh, Bargell's father knew each other. They met at the home of uh, Baron Christian Adolf von Seckendorf. Both of them were educated, the Baron's barons children in music. I wish we could still do this today. I mean, you know, now you just hire this itinerant piano teacher to come into your house and Teach your kids music, but these guys used to live there and kind of, you know, they pretty much lived wow. with the family and sort of uh, educated the children in the the niceties of life, which we just don't learn anymore. Which is why we're barbarians now. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, listen to this barbaric accent I'm speaking with. I could be I could be a 19th century European, anyway, or even better, an 18th century European, but. Both, uh, both uh, they educated the uh, Baron's children in music. Um, Adolf Bargiel would later become Clara's stepfather because forty-one-year-old <laughs> Friedrich Wieck married a nineteen-year-old student of his uh-uh. named Marianne Marianne Tromlitz, and she left him because he was too domineering. Can I just say something? Clara Schumann, Clara Wieck, thought. Friedrich, her father, was too domineering too. But she couldn't leave because she was the child. Okay. Anyway, can you imagine this? Anyway, they had... So they... um, She had two daughters with Vick, and the first died before her first birthday. Before... The first died before the child, who was a girl's first birthday. So she didn't... The the, the child didn't live to be one. And the second was Clara Vick, later to be Clara Schumann. Afterwards, um... Uh Tromlitz married Bargiel. She married his his pal. Wow. I don't know how I'd feel about that. You know? Mm. I don't know. And so she left her husband. Just went and married his bud here. And uh, their first child was uh Voldemar. So, um, Voldemar and Clara Schumann... Voldemar, Bargiel, and Clara Schumann are step-brother and sister, I guess. Would that be half- half-brother and half-sister? Um... He's the composer on this album, so that's who we're hearing. We're hearing Clara Schumann's um, half-brother. He was born in 1828, and he was nine years younger than her. And when you're children, that's a big deal. And he had a lifelong relationship with her and Robert Schumann as well. Very important because Robert Schumann was a big influencer of uh, music at the time. A lot of the uh, romantic music that we hear, like Brahms, things like that, we hear because of Robert Schumann's influence. He was uh, a major player in that. So
1: Yeah, that comes right through in all these pieces. I mean, yeah. this fits right in with Schumann Brahms and um, you know, the influences are there, but it's really great all on its own. Uh, it's a shame we haven't heard this before.
0: Yeah. Well, yeah, the thing is, if it, if it wasn't such a great re- performance and recording, we might not have cared so much, but it's really riveting. Mm-hmm. Um, as you mentioned, Bargiel had some great teachers. He had uh, Ignaz Moskalis, who taught him piano. Niels Gade and Julius Rietz taught him composition. Niels Gade was a major composer, too. I believe he was Danish, uh, or at least he was somewhere in Scandinavia. I'm not sure. He was appointed professor, this is Bargiel at the Cologne Conservatory in 1859. Six years later, he moved to a similar post in Rotterdam, where he met his future wife, Hermine. Uh, His final academic appointment was at the Hochschule für Musik Musik in Berlin, where he taught from 1874 to his death in 1897. Uh, Bargiel was also great friends with Johannes Brahms, who was also in the Schumann circle. And Bargiel mostly wrote solo piano music and chamber music, and he wrote three piano trios. And we hear two of them here. There's another one! I mm-hmm. want to hear that now, too, because you know, these two are so great. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about how great these Piotrillas are and how great this performance is and how Hyperion really starts to needs to start putting this stuff online so people can hear it. Cause this is fantastic, and our audiences can't hear this unless they got to buy the CD, which I highly recommend you do, or you can buy the MP3, too, and download it. Um I highly recommend you do if you're interested in classical music at all. Uh, This is really fantastic. Um, The first piano trio is in F major, opus 6, written in 1851. Um, The heyday, by the way, of romantic music when the piano became the big instrument stuff was the 1830s, and then Chopin died in 1849, so this is two years after Chopin's death. At this point, romanticism is kind of becoming more and more virtuosic, and it's growing, getting bigger. Bruckner's symphonies, Wagner's operas are about to... Uh, they're around, but they haven't gotten popular yet. Okay, this particular piano trio was popular during Bargiel's lifetime, and the Schumann's helped him get it published. Um, it starts out, Adagio Allegro Energico in the first movement. So the, the Adagio, the dash, means that's an introduction, usually. And then the Allegro Energico would be the main section. This um, starts very quietly Um, it's recorded the dynamic range in this recording is pretty wide Mm -hmm. so uh, you're going to turn your stereo way up for the beginning to really hear this and then it's going to blow you away when the uh, fortes come in so be careful with your volume setting Uh, the piano starts with a theme that's introduced in canon in the violin and bass which is pretty intriguing it's very simple and haunting there's a lot of canonic writing in the introductory the introduction the inter- introductory part and we break out of this a minute into the piece as the music remains slow but grows agitated with the canon theme heard in the piano and cello the piano slams emphatically on some chords in dotted rhythm dun-da-dun-da-dun, dun-da-dun-da-dun, as the violin and cello wind wind down in the canon theme There's a pause, and we're into the Allegro Energico at around the 2 minute and 20 second mark. I mean, you'll notice this. You don't have to be looking at the clock as the music suddenly speeds up. Uh, This is a pretty typical romantic theme of the time. It's emphatic, with two chords followed by uh, two chords in dotted rhythm. Very pretty playing by the ensemble. I especially like the rippling rolled chords in the piano at around the 2 minute and 50 second mark. and. The entire ensemble plays so well throughout this recording, but I really want to single out Tim horton the pianist um not the <laughs> he he did not uh start a donut uh <laughs> restaurant in Canada that's a different <laughs> Tim horton this one is a pianist and a quite a good one at that okay <laughs> whatever that is Tim horton's um okay uh, yeah the music uh, gets quieter at uh, the four minute mark and comes across sensitively I'm glad I've got the volume turned up the recording provides rich sounds on all instruments as long as you've got the volume turned up loud enough to hear them um, it's three dimensional sound and this is a CD recording too so it's it, it's this is this is one of the best examples of a, a CD recording you'll hear it's just so beautifully defined Uh, Each instrument stands out, and yet the uh, blend is wonderful too. At 5 minutes and 10 seconds we hear the Allegro and opening theme again. Uh, This is the repeat, Uh, the the opening material is often repeated, and the piano sound is amazingly clear. The other two instruments register fully, and there's ample room reverb that doesn't distract at all. Uh, The quiet second subject registers a bit more when we hear it in this repeat. I'm I'm glad I'm hearing the repeat here, because this is a long section and it was kind of hard to remember everything, so we got to hear it all again before the development section came in. I think we're off into development sometime around the 7 minute and 30 second mark, which is really late into the piece. We hear rapidly repeating chords in the piano as the cello and violin trade melodic lines. They have the main material, but my ear is consistently drawn to the beautiful and very sensitive piano playing, even when the other two have the, uh, hmm. the, you know, the main theme. Um, we arrive back at the recapitulation at around the 9 minute and 30 second mark, so it's only a two minute development after all this material. The piano plays by itself first, and then the violin and piano come in for the follow-up statement. The playing has gained some urgency here in the 10th minute. The second quiet theme is as sensitive as ever. Then there's a rolling buildup featuring a fantastic sudden key change just after the 12th minute. We hear the fantastically clear rapid chords in the piano and arrive at the final cadence i was already floored (laughs) and there's still three movements to go this is actually a very long piece both of these trios are not for amateurs the second movement andante sostenuto is a pretty theme stated by the cello with the piano providing a chiming bed of quarter note chords and oh what a beautiful sound he gets tim horton does on these chords at the piano the cello cello hands off the melody to the sweeter higher violin and provides the contrapuntal melody and that handoff is so beautifully executed here um they do this ensemble the leonore uh, piano trio do everything to uh sell this work and sell it they do i'm captivated there's a lot of great detail in the melodic material coming afterward providing some really sensitive moments i like the violin's sweet melody at three minutes and 10 seconds with the piano gently rolling arpeggiated chords beneath Uh, the violin and cello hand off the melodic material to each other seamlessly in a way that pleases the ear immensely lovely melodic movement with gorgeous interplay that's track two make sure you hear that in fact just listen to this whole album it's just so good The third movement, scherzo. Um, Scherzo, by the way, means joke, so it's kind of like a playful movement. Uh, A little bit of play before the serious concluding movement. This is labeled presto, commodo, and then tempo one, so it's an ABA form. So the opening, the outer sections have a playful dotted rhythm, um, followed by a ghoulish, manic bouncing melody accompanied by pizzicati, um in the base of well i said the base of the cello i guess that would be the theme sounds a bit like the big bones aggressive theme in the uh second scherzo movement of beethoven's Ninth symphony that that one it kind of has that sort of feeling i'm sure it's a reference cuz uh at this point everybody was under beethoven's influence um Bargiel is a resourceful orchestrator and had a good sense for melody. A lot of this piano trio is really catchy, and I like the long held bass note that ends the A section. Uh, the B section, beginning at somewhere around 2 minutes and 15 seconds, is smooth, comforting, and melodic with shimmering piano scales. Ah, oh, Tim Horton is playing is so good on this recording. And heartfelt duet playing in the violin and cello. Uh, the ensemble has a lot of ideas for varying repeated material. I'm noticing this in the B section here, as themes that repeat are taken slightly differently than at first. Uh, We get the bouncing rhythms back at 4 minutes and 47 seconds with an almost rubber ball bouncing pizzicato in the bass of the cello, and the theme only gains in manicness and intensity as it heads for the end. It does a quick decrescendo and peters out to end the movement. I should also mention the other two uh, members of the Leonore Piano Trio. I don't want to leave them out. Um, They are... Uh, Benjamin Nabarro on the violin, and Gemma Rosefield on the cello, because they're all fantastic. Fourth movement, Allegro con Fuoco, with fire, passion. This has a galloping rhythm in all three instruments, the piano playing chords and the violin and cello playing notes in those chords. They're kind of like outlining certain notes. The piano starts rapid scalar figuration and the cello enters in canon, or fugue, this is ba- this movement is basically fugato, um, as in the first movement, fugato means it starts like a fugue but then doesn't continue like one. So it's not strictly composed the way a fugue should be. As in the first movement and at the last entry, the violin starts the same way but quickly changes direction. This movement has a lot of rapid figuration. There's a second quieter theme that keeps up the energy but slows down the figuration. Now we hear a repeat of the opening material at around 3 minutes and 20 seconds. Uh, the piano, as in the beginning, has impressive clarity. Every note is audible, yet the sense of line and the greater whole is always present. It's really magical. Energy dissipates at the 6 minute 13 second as mark as wisps of melodic material are heard in all three instruments. Still, the sense of line is solid through this, and I like the harp-like theme in the piano that begins at 7 minutes and 50 seconds. It continues as the violin and cello rebuild the opening theme, and we find that we're in the recap, only here it's not repeated, but sort of improvised on. It sounds like there's a mighty fugue happening here. Um, the quieter section second theme is heard with more intensity than before and the closing material riffs on this theme. There's a build up in speed to the end making the final cadence thrilling. This is an amazing performance. As amazing a performance as this work is ever likely to get. So if you're going to ever hear it, you're going to have to hear this recording. It's beautiful intense and well balanced and I had to shut my stereo off after this because I didn't want the feeling to go away. I had to listen to the second piano trio another night. Uh (laughs) So I, the next night, I came back for more. The piano trio number two, in E flat major, Opus twenty. Yeah, it was really long and exhausting. I was so mm-hmm. drawn in, I felt kind of wiped out by the end. The same thing happened here. I was glad this was the only one I had to hear. It was like <laughs> really, I was too involved. I kind of, you know, it was it was like I had an actual menage a trio, and I was all wiped out by the end of it. So I think it's a good title for this uh, episode. You know, because it, it fits well, especially with this recording. Hmm. Um, this uh, Piano Trio number two in E flat major, opus 20, um, starts allegro moderato. It starts with a solid solo piano line descending. The violin and bass come in and bring the line to a near climax, but there's a sudden sharp turn into another key. I love when that happens. And a quiet section follows, after which we go. Into another theme. The new theme is probably the dominant theme, and we have here the second theme of the sonata movement. There are lots of harmonic hijinks in the opening, which is big and bold for the most part. The rich sound recording from the first trio continues here. There's a gently swaying three-four. Uh, rhythm in the first minute, which goes back to 4-4 in the second minute. A solid cadence is reached at 2 minutes and 28 seconds, after which we get a repeat of the opening material, which is a good thing because I needed to hear all the harmonic swerves again. There were, there were all these little surprises. And um, in order to follow the development section, you kind of have to know what happened in the opening. Sections of music come and go in a slippery harmonic fashion. Uh, quick changes of profile done by harmonic sleight of hand. The repeat uses more or less the same phrasing and dynamics, bare enough subtle differences to keep it interesting. The ensemble wants you to hear what happened, so they really highlight it all the second time around as well. We go into the development section sometimes around 4 minutes and 50 seconds in a harmonically slippery way, seems to be a theme of this movement. There's no solid cadence at the end of the exposition as there was the first time around. There's some quiet, pretty, and slightly haunting material in the quieter movements of the uh, development section. The piano is particularly dramatic. And at six minutes and 58 seconds, we triumphantly arrive at the recapitulation with its reorchestrated second theme now in the tonic key. Uh, the quieter material is gentle. I'm guessing it's a, the rule says it has to be in the tonic key. I don't have perfect pitch, but I assume that it is. The quieter material is gentle and heartfelt here where it was more haunting in the exposition. There's a pretty cool false cadence. Aren't all false cadence is cool. It's sort of a repetitive uh, statement. Um, at around 9 minutes and 20 seconds, be sure to hear that, where we'd expect the final cadence to be, but it's not. We get the uh, false cadence, and we have a coda that goes into some nice, quiet material before a crescendo brings the gradually roiling music to a final cadence. So it kind of... Gets heated to a boil and then kind of comes rolling down. Beautiful movement and a harmonically tricky, too. It's really fun to listen to. The second movement, Andante. This is the slow movement. And I like the way the theme of this grows from the single chord this movement starts with. The chord repeats and it has two more chords added as a phrase, then gets longer and develops into a brief melody from there, starting with the cello. We get an interlude... Then a more marmorial statement. I've been introducing this word quite a bit, marmorial. It kind of means like statuesque or like hard rock-like marble kind of thing, okay? So it sounds like it's just not going to be moved away. It's sturdy, marmorial Hmm. statement of the opening theme with full solid harmony from the violin and cello and big chords in the piano. After this, the piano sets a pattern of three repeated chords going on to three other repeated chords as the violin plays a melody over it. Uh, The piano then gets the melody, and the cello provides counterpoint at around uh, 3 minutes and 45 seconds. The rhythm stays the same, but there are variations in the way it's put across. The three chords become a three-note melodic figure in the bass of the piano. There's a sudden dramatic chord, played by the piano at around the 6 minute mark, a total surprise, and harmonically we're off somewhere else. This movement comes across as rather dramatic, as opposed to tranquil, which andantes can often be, and particularly this uh, late section of it. We hear the opening theme more gently played at 7 minutes, and after that, since the dramatic music relieves its tension by spilling into this um, opening theme mostly lovely legato strings here with chiming chords accompanying in the piano big dramatic crescendo leads to the tranquil ending cadence and a lovely descent into the bass register of the piano which chimes out the tonic chord twice to end the movement lovely playing man talking about this piece about this album is wiping me out just as much (laughs) as hearing it was it was so involving you know and just I'm kind of reliving it now just by uh, talking about it here anyway the third movement scherzo molto allegro tranquillo tempo one this is an aba form again so the opening section or the the outer sections um, act has an active line to begin this excitable movement um, the line gets agitated then calms down and this repeats quite a bit this pattern giving a sense of restlessness the piano chords are sharply taken at a minute and 10 seconds, they boom satisfyingly out of the speakers. It's gonna be so good. Make sure you hear a high quality recording of this. Um, Again, great recording. You can hear more of that after the one minute and 30 second mark. There is amazing presence for all three instruments here, even in the trio section, which starts after one minute and 50 seconds. This is the middle section, where the ensemble suddenly quietens for the more calm material, or calmer material. The opening material repeats just as skittishly and dramatically as it did when we first heard it. Um, Excellent presence on the piano in general and on its bass register in the agitated approach to the end cadence, which is cheekily taken. Very nice. Fourth movement, andante, poco allegro, and then allegro. When you see a marking like that, you've got an introduction and then a main section the andante that begins this movement the introduction is very troubled and the harmony wanders without a sense of peace this is uh, this whole work is like this the harmony we don't we're not really sure where we're going then at a minute and 40 seconds we're into the cheerful allegro section which is solid and harmonically stable so we feel like we've arrived somewhere now um, it's a light appealing theme mostly stated by the piano so we're happy now we've arrived home After it's done, the music gets more agitated as it rushes into different key areas, then back to the theme. So this Allegro section is shaped like a rondo, because we keep hearing that happy theme and memorable theme coming back. And um, a dramatic swerve into a darker key occurs at 4 minutes, and then at 4 minutes and 30 seconds we're rapidly tiptoeing off somewhere new. The piano breaks into a flourish as the violin and cello try to find a harmonic resting point, which they find at the 5 minute and 30 second mark, playing the rondo theme for the first time, with the piano now accompanying. It was the reverse at the opening. The uh, violin and cello accompanied the piano. This an exciting crescendo and rush for the final cadence, and we're done. Now, I've known about the Leonor Piano Trio. I actually have all the albums they've released. They've released about eight albums or so uh, since their inception on record, and this might be their best recorded performance so far, and best performed performance as well. They clearly believe in this music, and so why isn't this music better known? It's well-formed, has catchy melodies, sounds like it'd impress any audience... I would say it has to do with the enormity of the movements themselves. They require virtuosity that was indeed available to professional players. But I guess the composer's name wasn't well-known enough to attract audiences to concerts. So, basically, it's, are we going to do all this work to put across this composer who no one's heard of and no one's going to come hear us play it anyway because they don't know his name? Well, these days... um, These composers are gaining sort of a new uh, lease on life, and we have a lot of younger players who want to play this undiscovered music. So we get this recording here. We should be happy and grateful for it. Um, We've all been missing out on some excellent music. Let's catch up. This is great, highly recommended, probably one of the uh, albums of the year for me.
1: Yeah, you know that in classical music, I'm a big fan of piano trio's And I don't know why it's a seasonal thing for me, but in the spring, I get into this trio thing, and I'll go through a few weeks of just checking out all kind of trios. And I'm a big fan of this uh, ensemble, uh, Trio Wanderer, and uh, I like a lot of their recordings. And so I'm really familiar with the piano trio repertoire, especially focusing on, well, I like earlier works, but, you know, the romantic ones are really my favorite. And I have to say that these compositions are as good as anything else in the standard romantic piano trio repertoire. They're outstanding. I I agree. Yeah, Uh, They're full of quickly changing emotions, really well-developed sweeping themes, varied rhythms, and lovely melodies. They're just gorgeous original melodies here. And, yeah, the Leonore trio's Performance is outstanding. As you say, there's great tone, uh, accurate, but passionate performances. The only thing, as you mentioned, they are really long with these four full movements that they, right. they will drain you. Uh, maybe, you know, if you, you couldn't probably listen to all three, if the third one were included here, it would be yeah. just too much. Uh, one is enough at one time. I split these up myself too, but I was really happy to hear them. Uh, yeah. and so let's hope that, you know, these start to make it into performances and other ensembles also decide to record this despite you know uh Bargiel not having that real name recognition. This music mm. is really outstanding and um, the Leonis piano trios performance is great here as well. Uh, anyone who likes piano trios, you gotta hear this. This is well worth the investment to purchase this CD, which you have to do in order to hear it. So gets my Highest recommendation as well.
0: Yeah, we'll put up the Hyperion site link where you can um um download the MP3 if you want to. You can also sample, they only give you thirty minutes thirty second samples of each uh mm. movement for free, but you'll get an idea what it sounds like at least from that. So you can hear like the sound quality and the Sort of melodic material for free, but you're gonna to have to buy this one, and we highly recommend that you do. I, mean, I know we're getting into some hard economic times here, but uh, mm. this would be this would this would be you won't be disappointed. Let's just say that add this to your collection.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, if you like piano trios in this romantic era, uh, and you haven't heard this, it's it's like we were finding with Rynitsky. You know, that great mm. classical era music that was just been pushed aside and now you're getting to hear it for the first time. This is almost like that. Uh, it's it's of equivalent uh, value, quality as anything else uh, from that time period. The performance is moving, so it can't go wrong.
2: Right.
0: Agreed. Okay, so there we go. All right, now, at the beginning of this episode, I mentioned that I like um, thinking of ourselves as um, what, tastemakers, let's say, or sort of... Uh, uh, what's the word they use on the internet? I used it earlier. The, the whiskey's going to my head here. You see what happens? <laughs> I can't remember what I'm saying. Anyway, this next album is sort of uh, the the type of thing, because this is an album that people really aren't going to listen to unless someone else tells them about it, probably. Um, it's called Nostalgica by the uh, Koros Ensemble, K-O-R-R-O-S, and that ensemble features the unusual um, trio, of Eliza Marshall on flute, Nick Ellis on clarinet, and Camila Pay, or could be Pi, P A Y, on the harp. I need to give you the record label because I'm getting better at this, right? Convivium. Convivium Records. Yeah, they definitely need a, set, a shout out because I've never heard of them before. No, it's so the first I want to make sure no, I no, mention
1: that. First time for me,
0: too. Convivium Records. It might be a very small label. Anyway. Unusual Ensemble and this is mostly it's all 20th century or contemporary music. Um, So let's uh, take a look here. They don't really talk too much about what the uh, influence was of this um, how they put this program together in the booklet. We just really go into the uh, pieces.
1: Features heavy heavy Poston focus though, right?
0: Yeah, it's heavily focused on the music of Elizabeth Poston who we'll get to on track two. But let's just do track one first. Um, Nick Ellis, the uh, clarinetist in the ensemble, wrote this piece called Jacqueline's Theme, and it was written in 2020. He uh, has experience writing for the harp as he has arranged music for Katrin Finch's ensemble. I don't know if you're familiar with Katrin Finch. She does a lot of uh, collaborations with uh, Seku Keita. That's how I know her. He plays the... Uh, he's... um. I don't know where he's. I don't want to say where he's from, but he's from Africa. He's. It might be Senegal, but I don't want to get the country wrong. But he plays the kora, um, the African kind of string instrument, and she uh, plays the harp. And she. Um, they. They kind of play together, and I have uh, some of their recordings. There's a new one out now. In fact, check that out too. Catherine um, Finch and Seko Seco Keta. S E C K O U. All right. So anyway, Ellis um, has arranged music for um, Finch's ensemble and this piece is dedicated to his to Ellis's Nick Ellis's mother-in-law on her 80th birthday how nice what a nice uh, present to
1: get yeah mother-in-law even what?
0: yeah they're kind of I think they're uh, changing their image they mm-hmm. you know anyway this takes inspiration from the era she was from evoking Hollywood's golden age Um, The outer sections have lush textures and romantic melodies, and the central theme pairs back to a solo harp figure followed by a gentle and elegant clarinet melody that reflects the dedicatee's warm personality. Uh, Variations ensue before the outer romantic movement returns. Um, I could hear the Hollywood here. It's certainly not Korngold-like. Eric Wolfgang Korngold, who pretty much invented the big-boned orchestral errol flynn movie type uh, orchestral style in fact he wrote a lot of those errol flynn uh, movie themes um it's but it's very romantic and lilting um pretty easy on the ear i'm sure ellis's mother in law loved it um we hear a solid lasting cadence uh then the middle section start after the opening section then the middle section starts just after the second minute with a meandering harp It really starts in earnest at around the 2 minutes and 30 second mark. That's the uh, middle section. And very pretty, sensitive. At about the 4 minute and 28 second, the opening material returns in a more tender mode. And it gets more fully orchestrated at 5 minutes and 53 seconds and heads to its final cadence, which of course includes a harp glissando. You can't have a romantic piece without a harp glissando. (laughs) It's just not... It's like it's like the romantic piece's fingerprint.
1: It's gonna float you up to the clouds. Uh,
0: yeah. At the end, that's an angel playing. <laughs> I <laughs> think cherubim. angels really don't know how to play the harp, but they just do those glissandos. That's all they do. <laughs> I think. I, I secretly think that uh, once harpists die, they, they show the uh, <laughs> the angels up.
2: When they get,
0: there. <laughs> get away from that instrument, cherub. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> Second movement. Let me show you how it's done. All right. Elizabeth Poston. Who is this? All right, first of all, this she lived from 1905 to 1987, and uh, she had a distinguished career in radio broadcasting as well as being a composer of hymn tunes, carols, and pieces for radio and television. Hmm. Um, she was a writer, and she was a musicologist as well. Um, she wrote a lot for music and television. She also worked for the BBC during World War II. Uh, Sending coded messages via gramophone records to allies in Europe. Sounds cool. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, She never revealed the exact nature of this work and it remains secret to this day, which (laughs) really should uh, make her more interesting as a composer as well. Uh, This piece was composed in response to a request from the California Harpist Association. The piece in question is her trio for flute, clarinet, and harp. This is the original orchestration. Written in 1958. 1958. Okay, so what you want to think of here, I think, the, from reading her biography, is think of uh, the Nino Rota chamber music album we heard. So mm-hmm. Rota wrote a lot of movie music, and Poster wrote a lot for radio and television, and then she also wrote, um, you know, classical works as you know Rota did on that album. And it turns out they're really good, but we just don't know them because you know the uh, work in other fields was more noteworthy. Mm-hmm. for the audiences of the time. Okay, well, anyway, we now discover this piece, and uh, let's give it a listen, see what's happening. The first movement is piacevole, which means pleasurable, or, you know, likable. Um, yeah, pleasure, pleasurable, gives, giving pleasure. Uh, this movement starts out rather mysteriously in the harp, and the flute and clarinet continue that feeling. There's a darkness to this movement, at the minute and seconds, the music slows down, and there's something almost uh, microtonal in the hovering between two chords. But I don't think it's microtones. It's some sort of an effect. I'm not, I couldn't really pick out what it was, but it was very cool. I liked it a lot. At a minute and 45 seconds, the mysterious nighttime evocations occur. There's a pause at 2 minutes and 9 seconds, and a new theme starts started by a repeating harp-arpeggiated figure. The flute and clarinet play arabesque material while the harp uh, plays its arpeggios, and there's a scurrying figure for the final cadence. Second movement, Molto Moderato. This movement is described by the composer as the expression of regret for a green countryside given over to pylons and concrete, huh. referring to the establishment of New Town, which had destroyed her birthplace. So, that's always sad, isn't it? Hmm. We open this with a dreamy but rather forlorn uh, harp um, melody or theme. The clarinet plays a melody in the minor key. The flute comes in and plays a counter melody. The clarinet and flute hover around each other like two birds as the harp marks time with chords, occasionally providing a melodic fill. The cadence just past the minute mark has a nostalgic feel. And a new theme starts after the cadence reaching upward in the flute and slowly slowly descending. The clarinet brings us to the next cadence at around 2 minutes and 30 seconds, but it's fleeting, and the music goes on its forlorn way. Another cadence at 3 minutes and 45 seconds provides a little resting point, and then the ghostly melody floats onward. The movement, despite its many cadences, ends inconclusively. A pretty interesting choice, really. Mm you think with all the cadences, we'd, we'd get something a little more solid. But no, a little surprise. Okay, third movement, Dolce Delicato. So we go back to something lighter here. This movement starts with the odd idea of the flute playing a quick harp-like arabesque, which the harp lightly and quietly plays in unison with it, as the clarinet plays a longer-breathed longer, bre- longer breathed melody. A longer-breathed melody. I've never known how to say that. Hmm. By a minute and 15 seconds, the flute has an upward-moving arpeggio into its higher range. It plays on that solo for a while. Then trilling flute comes back at a minute and 40 seconds as the opening material is repeated to the end. Um, this movement also ends inconclusively with no cadence. Fourth movement, Vivace Scherzando. The composer said of this, uh, Magic filuse, which means like a French word for a spinner, a woman who's spinning... Um yarn. Uh, spins finer than gossamer, so gossamer mm. would be a spider's web. So, maybe a magical uh, spinner, spinning woman here. Uh, it's a nice non-legato but song-like theme that opens the movement in the flute, clarinet, and harp. I guess this has a spinning quality to it. It continues without many pauses. There's always someone playing, so I guess that would be like the, the mechanicalness of the mm-hmm. spinning wheel always going. The flute takes a glissando at a minute and 40 seconds and then the flute and clarinet come in without the harp to play a contrapuntal melody, which the harp later imitates under them. This ends with a final sounding chord. Next piece is Howard Blake, who was born in 1938 and he's still alive. Um, He grew up in Brighton, England and is a pianist, conductor, and composer. This is his trio from 1962, and this was originally composed as music for an experimental 16mm film called A Few Days, which was a poignant short love story. After the film was shown, he was approached by the music publishers Chappell and Company, um, or Chappell and Company, for whom he arranged it into the three movement concerto work it now exists as. Ugh dry mouth this whiskey isn't helping (laughs) first movement allegro very gentle opening with a gossamer harp accompanying accompaniment filling out harmony for a bird-like flute theme it's very pretty the clarinet and flute hand off the melody to each other there's excellent seamless playing and really throughout the album here but here it's very noteworthy the harmonic texture thickens as the movement goes on very easy on the ear appealing throughout Andante movement, accented chords on the downbeat from the harp as the flute and clarinet play the slightly frozen melody. Uh, There's a big pause at the 38 second mark, and the clarinet takes a new slow theme, which it hands off to the flute. The material picks up a long ago nostalgic feeling from the minute and 45 second mark. And then there's a pause at 2 minutes and 13 seconds, and we hear the opening material again. The third movement, Allegro, has an arabesque flute figure over a quick repeating chord figure on the harp. Impressive sound from the harp here. The flute and clarinet hand off the melodic material between them, and the brief movement gains in momentum and reaches a quickly played, winking conclusion. Track nine is a work by Cheryl Frances Hode, born in 1980, so she's still with us, uh, and very and much younger than us in fact. <laughs> Uh, This is her vocalese. Uh, This was written when the composer was 13 years old. So in 1993. Amazing. Yeah. huh? And it won the Purcell Composition Competition Prize. Kind of say that fast. Composition Competition Prize for composers under 25 years old. So this 13-year-old kid, girl, (laughs) beat out uh, all these like People who were in music school. Yeah, music school. You know? yeah. Wow. Okay, the piece was um, it was originally for soprano, flute, and harp. The soprano singing the vocalese. Um, the piece was reworked for this recording. The harp provides an undulating accompaniment to the two melody instruments. This has a rather ponderous opening with the harp playing arpeggios as the flute and clarinet play the rather straightforward melodic material. There's some impressive orchestration in this opening section. A pause occurs around a minute and 50 seconds and again at 2 minutes and 10 seconds, Um, sort of a collective collecting of the breath before continuing onward. It's a nice effect. One wonders if the music will change and it basically moves onward. There's a new section underway at 2 minutes and 40 seconds with quick arpeggiated harp and the flute and clarinet playing a contrasting melody to the opening. There's another pause at 3 minutes and 53 seconds, one of those collective breaths again. And we get a variation on material we've heard before, uh, part of the opening. Um, it's more fluid here, like it's gained in flexibility as the piece has gone on. There's a lovely, quiet approach to the close of the piece. So very inventive, and it's a 13-year-old who wrote this.
1: Boy. Amazing.
0: Yeah. Track 10 is... Katrin Finch. Now she's the harpist that I mentioned earlier that um, the clarinetist has written music for. Um, th- she was born in 1980, Finch was, and this is her piece Nunti and I'm, I've am i got a question about this actually. Okay so she's a harpist and composer and I know her from her collaborative recordings as I said with uh, Senegalese player Seko Keita. Nunti is the Latin word for messages or messengers. And this started life as part of a show for the 2016 National oh, I think this is Welsh, Eichsted Fod of Wales in Abergavenny. Profuse apologies for um to the people of <laughs> Wales for my not having any idea how to pronounce this word. And to my brother too, who of course speaks all three thousand of the world's
1: languages. <laughs> 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 I don't know if we have any downloads from Wales, so maybe no one will be offended.
0: Well, they they sometimes live elsewhere. Anyway, the show was called uh, Serenestial and was based on our solar system. Now, this is odd. Nunti's material came from the movement Neptune. And there seems to be a misunderstanding here because Finch claims... Uh, that Gustav Holst in the planets called Neptune the Winged Messenger, and that's why she called this work Nunti or Messengers. But that's not right. Um, Mercury is the Winged Messenger, and he is in, yeah. a, a, in um, you know, myth as well. Um, he's the messenger of the gods. Neptune, the final movement of Holst's work was the Mystic, not the Messenger. Okay, so I'm wondering if there's a mistake in her uh, notes. And she took the music from her Mercury movement, or if she just made a mistake and just kind of composed uh, <laughs> Mercury's material into her Neptune movement. I've, I'd like uh, some clarification on that, actually. Mm-hmm. If anybody listening to this um, who knows uh, Ms. Finch can um, let us know, or at the Convivium record label, get in touch with her, let us know anyway the piece itself starts at the harp playing a rather disjunct but appealing figure uh, followed by strumming figuration disjunct means that the the uh, notes don't form like a curve they kind of jump around a bit the main melodic material starts at the 52nd mark and is lively with a breathy figure in the flute featuring lots of repeated notes the flute plays it in its more nasal timbre afterwards There are some nice honking figures in the clarinet with accents from the harp just before the three-minute mark. After this, a more melodic theme comes in, beautifully played, comforting, and rather warm. There's a dancey, repeating, rhythmic figure in the clarinet that the harp picks up at one point. The piece ends inconclusively on a note of tension. Back to Elizabeth Poston, who we heard earlier. Her three pieces for flute and harp from 1953 No clarinet in this, okay? So it's just a duo. And this is a much lighter work than the more kind of Mm -hmm. serious work that we heard earlier. Um, The first movement is a ricordanza, or memory, and uh, true to form, quiet arpeggiated opening in the harp. I mean, it is a memory. It's going to be like a nice sort of feeling to it. The flute plays the melting straightforward melody. This is like an old song. It's melodic all the way through. It's really nice. Second movement is a barcarolle, which is a Venetian boat song. So it always has this uh, six-eight rhythm to it, like the waves, you know, like as the uh, the uh, gondolier sings his song. Um, the six-eight melody is or rhythm is outlined in the harp, as the flute plays a light melody over it, and the figure changes to a mil- new melody at around 45 seconds. The third movement is titled Calypso, and it's a rather gentle one, with the harp playing, the rhythm, and the flute gently hitting the accents on the closing notes of the theme, with a light staccato touch on occasion. All three works are immediately appealing and very song-like, and also very brief. They're all around two minutes long. Track 14, Elizabeth posted again. This is the last time we'll hear from her. This is Forma for Harp, from 1959 this work starts this is for a solo harp uh, it starts by building tension unresolved chords build up tension and a figuration starts playing harmonies that further that tension there are some intriguing sounds in the harp just past the first minute created by a combination of attack and harmony between low and high notes it sounds like a sforzato attack so a really sudden um, strong attack on the uh, strings after this, a more haunting melody begins in 3-4 time. This is in the second minute. We hear the sforzato notes again at around 3 minutes and 15 seconds. And this results in an um papa rhythm with uh, melodic notes plucked in the higher range. A build begins at 4 minutes and 35 seconds to the final cadence, and the piece ends darkly, but resolved. And the final work for your classical section this week, Howard Blake, Penillion, composed in 1975. Penillion is an ancient Welsh word that means a set of instrumental variations on a song. And this was uh, originally for uh, violin and harp. It was, here it's been... Um, it was commissioned by uh, violinist Jack Rothstein and harpist Annabel Etkind, and they wanted something fairly virtuosic to feature at a large Jewish celebration in a hall just off Grosvenor Square or Gravenor Square in London. This composition didn't exactly work for them, so it went through various transmogrifications until finally arriving at the trio format here in the year 2009. Mm. So it starts with a pretty melody on the flute, accompanied by harp block chords. The clarinet, which is unusual for the harp, usually you hear arpeggiated chords, uh, so it's nice to hear this. The clarinet plays in unison with the flute as the melody repeats. The first variation starts at around a minute and 36 seconds and sounds like a folk dance, The second variation, after 2 minutes and 45 seconds, has kind of a Russian folk quality to it, also like a folk dance. The third variation, at 4 minutes, has an upward shooting figure in the wind instruments. The fourth variation starts at 4 minutes and 31 seconds. It's quiet and mysterious, with two-note figures over gossamer harp arpeggios. The melody starts expanding as both instruments play in unison. The 5th variation wanders in 8th notes, it's fairly slow, and the 6th variation features the 16th note arpeggios in the harp, accompanying the more active, searching melody. The theme comes back and ends the piece. So the ensemble of course sounds gentle and beautiful on this album, and these pieces are all easy on the ear. With a there's a there's a little bit of a uh, paprika in the uh, first Elizabeth Poston trio, mm-hmm. but other than that, they're all pretty easy on the ear. That one has a little bit of spice in it. Any darker works are slight in their approach and still appeal. The album is an excellent discovery of 20th century music with a few contemporary compositions thrown in. Well worth hearing, and very appealing.
1: Yeah, like this, we've had a few harp recordings. On, uh, we might have more soon. Music. <laughs> and uh, this was good. I mean, it, it gives us some of what we expect, you know, those arpeggiated runs and things that are kind of everyone's image of the harp. But there's also some really subtle use of different techniques on the harp. Um, I like on the first post in the, the, the trio for flute, clarinet, and harp in the first movement, uh, the Harp is used sometimes sounding like a guitar, doing right. Sort of strum things. And then it switches to sections where it's used more as a piano with sort of, mm-hmm. uh, chord hits. And it actually creates the illusion of, you know, different instruments. So I thought as far as its implementation, there's a lot of variety, uh, in the types of attacks and effects that it gets. And yeah, as you say, most of this is very melodic, easy to listen to. Yeah. Uh, a mod- modern qualities but sort of enough leftover of sort of romantic kind of qualities with sweeping melodies that make it an easy listen
0: it wants to make friends yeah. basically and, and,
1: uh, it's enjoyable um, the woodwinds the, the first post and I thought sometimes gets a little bit maybe shrill in some parts but most of the time well,
0: it's, it's the artier work of, of the uh, works on this album really yeah. so I guess you know
1: most That's of the one. time, the flute and clarinet are working in sort of uh, warmer registers, and you get a very lush uh, type of sound. The Blake, I thought, has some really nice lush harmonies in it too. And uh, there's good development in most of the pieces. Yeah, very interesting combination for a trio. And yeah, I, I yeah, enjoyed beautiful his. sounds. Mm.
0: Yeah, fairly light. It was it was good. We gonna go pretty light on the on jazz too. These were all three really enjoyable recordings.
1: Well, um well, aiming I, to please. Actually I had a little thought about that to yeah. introduce it. And um well, as you alluded to uh early early in the the uh, program tonight, uh someone asked you about jazz and yeah, you, know, you wanted to know what to recommend and um here's a little story for you so you know Often I have two stereo systems. I have one right in front of me here upstairs in my sort of, uh, work or study desk. And, uh, it's got bookshelf speakers, uh, a decent enough, you know, 100, still 100 watt amp here. But I listen to here when I'm like doing focus listening and I want to write my notes for the program or whatnot. But usually on weeknights after, in day of work after dinner, I'll, Go into my uh, living room where I have my big system, you know, and, uh, mm-hmm. got the Dolly Helicones and, uh, That's Luxman nice. set up and a, and a network wow. player that can stream into the, into the Luxman deck. And, you know, what I usually do there is, um, if I'm not listening to something in my collection, I'll have some things on the list. Like, you know, maybe this would be a good one to talk about. So I had one that I had just listened to snippets of when I put it on the list. And I said, let's check this out. And it was, uh, an Italian sax player, new release. And, uh, I put it on and it was, you know, very much inspired by a uh, late period, uh, Coltrane. Uh, so it's, uh, you know, Sort of uh, modal into free jazz with soprano saxon. So I put that on and I thought, oh, this is really cool. You know, this is really yeah. going along. Well, to my surprise, uh, my wife had a completely opposite visceral reaction to mine. <laughs> and that I heard a lot. Why with are you playing this crazy music? And then I heard a door slam, you know? And I was like, <laughs> well, what? You know, this is adult music. It's not like I'm watching adult videos down here by <laughs> myself. <laughs> you know, this is good music. How can how can you not like this? You know, and just one of those moments. Col- Late Coltrane is challenging, though. Yeah, I know. Yeah,
0: even a work like "Love Supreme," which is so famous, when we like it because we've heard it so many times, but it's a challenging work. Yeah. Now
1: know? I do have to say, as you said, tonight, if. We've got any new listeners and, you know, you think oh, jazz is difficult or if you're a jazz fan, but you're not sure what to put on when you've got other people around. I'm going to tell you everything from here on out tonight is guaranteed to be a 100 percent likable by just about anyone, um, because when I put one of these recordings on, I had a different reaction. I sat down and put that on and the missus went over Brought my precious bottle of Knob Creep and a glass <laughs> to me and sat down and snuggled right up. Oh, So oh, nice. what I want to say, you know, whatever you've got for the coming week, if you haven't listened to the jazz selections yet, if grandma's coming over for dinner, just put this on. You've got the uh, a little work party scheduled. Get this on your playlist. If the missus is there, she might make you a sandwich or uh, better bring you you know, some Knob Creek or something right over to you. I think the, these trios have a lot of appeal and, uh, you know, you might even get lovey dovey with these here.
0: They they were all certainly appealing. I have a similar story. I just want to tell you, I had of my, uh, my Japanese girlfriend of the time I had, uh, put on, um, a Messiaen work, um, uh, 20 Regards sur l'Enfant Jesus, you know, the, um, Mm. the 20 Regards of the Infant Jesus It's a piano work. It's two hours long and it's, it can get very bangy at times. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's hard to... And I really love it, you know, because I've heard it many times. Some of it's really beautiful. I also know the whole Christian iconography behind it, you know. But mm-hmm. uh, she she was Japanese. She didn't really know any of this. She was listening to it the first time. But she listened to it patiently and seemed to be really enjoying it. And then when it was over, she, she turned to me and said, can we listen to some normal music now? <laughs> <laughs> you know? Yeah. What, what, is that? That. what does normal mean? I guess, you know, just something well known, you know, because yeah, with- for her, she's not really hearing like the harmony as it were. I, I used to teach um Japanese students about like classical music. And one of the things that you do um to explain what we call harmonic progress, all right, it it's sort of speeding up. And I was going to say, which of these works, and I asked them, which of these works was written earlier just by listening to them? Mm-hmm. And, um, played, um, I, I don't remember what it was. It was some, some romantic work and then it was Rite of Spring. Okay. Okay. And, um, like a Western person would know the Rite of Spring is the noisier work. So they'd say, oh, this one's the more recent one. Mm-hmm. But, uh, Japanese students didn't have any, um, sense of that. Cause they're not, you know, they have, um, their traditional music can be very, not dissonant, but discordant. Let's say think about the, uh, like gagaku or you know mm-hmm. so they don't really hear those like clashes as sort of um like something added to the music to make it more challenging they just mm-hmm. kind of accept it all as you know as it is pre- pretty much from their own culture and uh, so it was pretty interesting i couldn't i couldn't use that uh, tack <laughs> to teach them right. about music yeah i had to kind of explain well you know it started like melodic like this or harmonically mm-hmm. safe and then it kind of got darker and darker right yeah, you almost have to teach them like the alphabet. Yeah, it's like that.
1: Yeah, I guess um, you know we've got to account for preferences and experiences and things. And uh, yeah, sometimes since we've immersed ourselves into this uh, adult music land, uh, our sensibilities aren't necessarily shared. But yeah. as I said tonight, this is going to all go down real smoothly uh, for anyone, I think, and uh the other appeal to it uh we're going to travel internationally to get through this program uh to some different destinations and since it's all trios uh yeah there's a lot of space in the music maybe leaving yeah. out R- russ a, actually has a trio of trios here i do um yeah. leaving out maybe one element uh that we'd normally hear in an ensemble since last week uh with uh, piano paisons uh, we were do- <laughs> <laughs> we're doing uh, a lot of uh piano-based things with trios, so I've specifically left out any piano trios, the most common trio in jazz, so we've got some other combinations of things here, and we're going to... Before you start, though, I'm wondering if we're
0: ever going to hear that uh, Italian sax player on the late Coltrane style... 'Cause I, I now I want to
1: hear that. Oh, you wanna hear that? Well it's not it's not in next week's sex It It doesn't have to be in next week's, but yeah, I've okay. got uh, Okay. I'll know. get it out there. It's a double.
0: I can get an, another Italian episode up if you want to do maybe that. Yeah, we'll put it, it in the Italian episode. Piano. Yeah. It just yeah. won't be piano. We'll have to call it something else.
1: Yeah. Okay. Well, it's yeah. good enough to include some.
0: Yeah, I've already got a good Rossini one that I want to do, so maybe okay. soon we'll We're do that. We'll make an
1: Italian episode again. Okay. There's enough good stuff coming out of Italy. I won't have a problem putting that together. Oh, yeah. Yeah. All right. We're going to not start in Italy, though. We're going to start in uh, Germany tonight. Uh, and this is an album that will probably slip under the radar, as most of mine do, uh, <laughs> my picks. Um, but I think they're worth hearing. And so this one is just simply called Up. And it's by the trio uh, Stormer, Herman, and Schwebs. And this is a self-release
0: Sturmer Heuermann
1: Schwebs, I bet that is Sturmer Heuermann Schwebs uh, Sax, yeah. bass, and guitar uh, That's an interesting combination Interesting combination, which was appealing And it's a self-release uh, too And uh, Before you start, I want to ask you What's
0: happening on this album cover? Oh, uh, are these guys hanging off a cliff or something? Yeah, that's what What's, it looks there, like. There's a striking kind of
1: an, image. Yeah, just hanging, hanging there in a the sort of minimalistic style, and I think maybe that's kind of the, the idea. Hmm. I'm not sure really. I uh, kind of
0: had a look at that. I was like, it's wow, pretty striking.
1: Yeah. Anyway, there's not a lot of uh, documentation available uh, for this release, uh, but I take it that uh, Stürmer is the basic kind of leader of this group. Uh, on the Saxon woodwinds here and based out of uh, Hanover, Germany. Mm. And uh, as is uh, the guitarist uh, Klaus Hureman and uh, Peter Schwebs on bass. We've got a nice, interesting uh, program of covers here, mixing standards, uh, a little variety of jazz uh musician original compositions uh as well so i thought the program was intriguing and once i listened to it uh i was drawn in uh just with the pleasing nature of all the jazz material Uh, we're going to start out with a tune uh, called groove merchant composed by jerome richardson Uh, this was a big tune for the thad jones mel lewis big band it's a bluesy swinging tune uh here, uh, tenor sax by Stromer, uh, over nice walking bass lines by Schwebs, tight choppy chords on the guitar, uh, the tenor solo is bluesy, fun, uh, some nice honks thrown in there, and then uh, a nice fluid sound on this uh, big round guitar tone that uh, Hiram has. It chugs along just fine on a nice rhythm with no drums, and that, that's one of the kind of... Uh, Keys to this album—you don't need drums to have that real swinging rhythm locked in. So a nice start with Groove Merchant.
0: Yeah, I noticed this all the way through. It was really, uh, it was really intriguing. Like the, yeah. the, the, the grooves really moved. There were no drums. I was like, wow, this is really yeah. something.
1: You know, you almost hear that hi hat in your head just added yeah. from your own brain mm-hmm. because it's so tight. Uh, and so that's good. Uh, you know, the, just the rhythm doesn't need the drums to lock it in. Uh, this next one is a really interesting treatment of the old uh, classic Just Friends. Uh, let's see, this is a John Klenner composition uh, done by Chet Baker. You know, lots of jazz players have played this. Uh, but uh, Stromer pulls out the flute for this one. So we get some flute on this recording uh, later, too, which was nice. And it starts out, interestingly, with a medium samba tempo. <laughs> I haven't heard this tune done as a samba before. It's usually, you know, a, a swinging tune or more ballad-y. Uh So that's a really cool idea. But once it breaks into the uh, flute solo, it, it goes into swing. And then uh, summer floats really nice flute lines here. Great walking bass again. Uh, and uh, a, a nice fluid guitar solo. Tumbling little figures that goes into more of a chord solo. That's very cool. Schwab's gets a bass solo here too. Uh, he brings in parts of the melody into that solo, shows a lot of dexterity on the bass. Uh, and you get a really nice sense of space in this tune without the drums too. Uh, when the flute comes back with the melody here, it's still swinging. And the tune ends with a little flute cadenza. And it's really cool that, that little samba... It was only at the beginning, they never bring it back, so it made me want to go back and listen to it again. You know, like, what was that? You know, what, what yeah. was the only at the start? Uh, I
0: said the flute solo was a nice touch too. I really like yeah. the... uh I like
1: jazz flute a lot. Yeah. The flute was really nice. Uh, now we're going to get another cool tune for track three, uh, Horace Silver's The Jody Grind. And uh, so we're back on tenor sax here uh, for this very funky, as Horace Silver tunes usually are, uh, tune. After the intro lick, we got some bass and guitar that work up an infectious bluesy groove. Uh, Stormer blows through the melody with nice breathy articulation. Uh, there's a little harmonic twist in the end of the melody line, which is very cool. Uh, I like the low note honk and the melody on the tenor sax. Uh, again, Hiraman has a very cool solo, incorporating some double stops and double time lines uh, with this tempo here. And then uh, Sturmer mixes in clipped bluesy phrases, fast runs, and some peppered low honks uh, in his tenor sax solo that also gets up into the upper register. Uh, Schwebbs gets a tight and funky bass solo as well. Uh, Just a great groove on this tune. Uh, Very enjoyable. Uh, Track four, an old jazz standard, It Could Happen to You, Jimmy Van Heusen. Uh, Lush guitar, rubato intro. Uh, full of melody, strums, and arpeggios here. Uh, that works into a slow, loping swing uh, for the bass and sax to join. Uh, Schwebbs makes a nice pulse and adds little rhythmic fills under Stromer's breathy sax melody. Uh, Schwebb's solos first here, focusing on being melodic up in the higher register, and finally getting things chugging uh, for Stromer's solo. And Hiraman has a really dreamy solo here as well, they pause for a little guitar cadenza, cadenza at the end of the melody repeat. Track five, uh, we're going to go Brazilian, uh, yeah. Juan Gilberto, Outrovez, Vez, uh, back to flute, which always works great for bossa nova uh, here. Uh, Stromer brings up the warm lower register in the melody. It's easy and breezy, uh, very relaxing. Hureman, uh, also, switches to acoustic guitar to match the bossa nova vibe, uh, so that's nice. We get a little timbre change, and his solo brings out the different tones and touches with little tasty figures. Uh, nice flute cello here as well that ties back into the melody, so you get all breezy, ready for the beach. Uh, then back to bluesy for Dexter Gordon's Cheesecake. Uh, walking bass line intro to this classic minor key jazz tune. Uh, it's cool how the field doubles up under the sax melody time uh, line uh, handled by Schweb's bass. Uh, so he takes over that changing uh, rhythmic feel that you know would usually partially rely on the drummer. Uh, Stromer Bow's a great tenor solo here over the swinging bass and tight guitar chords. Uh, Herman gets a little blues in his solo Uh, between some spring-loaded nice tight rhythmic phrases. And Schweb's has a well phrased bass solo varying up the rhythms before they repeat the signature melody. Uh, We're going to go to another uh, great jazz cover by trumpeter Freddie Hubbard, Up Jump Spring for track seven. This one gets a nice loping jazz waltz uh, here uh, for tenor sax. Uh, and Herman gets a section of the melody with nice harmonization on the guitar. Uh, the sax solo has kind of a tart and tight little phrasing uh, that matches the uh, waltzing lilt to the melody. Uh, Herman's solo on guitar has a lot of interesting rhythmic variations in his lines, uh, mixing in triplets to match the waltzing feel, and Schwebs has some bass solo fun as well. Oh, this is really nice... Freddie Hubbard tune done very well. Track eight, another jazz standard, Easy Living by Ralph Ranger. Uh now, time for bass clarinet. Oh There's yeah. Always time for bass clarinet. It's uh, in,
2: in
0: my in my years, it's always time <laughs> for bass clarinet.
1: <laughs> and uh that comes in over Schwebs' bass exposition uh to start this standard. Uh Heurman joins in subtly as the bass takes over the melody before Stromer gets a section of it and then passes it back to the bass. It's at a very relaxed tempo, and uh, Stromer blows a fittingly lazy solo, sometimes getting down into those low notes we love so much on the bass clarinet. Um, Herman took his uh, relaxing quaaludes or whatever as well, and he drips out little tasty phrases in his guitar solo. Uh, it's also mm. relaxed and Schwebs gets the last solo into an unexpected bass cadenza that finishes it off nicely. Uh, so we've got the whole woodwind arsenal uh, here. <laughs> Track nine, uh, I think this is a jazz crusader's tune called Tough Talk, and uh, here <laughs> it gets a, an awesome funky guitar groove going uh, for this kind of interestingly structured 12-bar blues. Uh, Schwebbs locks in a bass line uh, that really counters that and uh, works around it, and they fit together perfectly. Uh, so on top of that, we get a breathy tenor line uh, that works into a rhythmic sax solo. It's such a fun bluesy tune with the chord descending turn around uh, after you lay on uh, the basic chords of the blues for a while. Uh, Herman's guitar sh- shows great articulation, Funky double stops in the solo. Uh, really nice solo on the guitar here. Schwebbs gets some time for our bluesy bass solo as well. Uh, he throws in a few double stops uh, on the bass as well. We're going to finish it all up with a jazz standard. It's only a Paper Moon. Harold Orland. Yeah, gorgeous Arlen. Tune. Yeah.
0: Harold Arlen.
1: Yeah. Uh, and sort of one.
0: Over the Rainbow, as yeah. everyone knows. Yeah.
1: Uh, this one swings right in from the intro thanks to hearman's tight chords uh he carries the melody as well on guitar which is nice so he's doing all these chordal things and the melody and uh the sax is playing counterlines to that and schwebs chugs it along with walking bass uh tenor solos first uh also another tasty guitar solo here with triplets and double stops uh melodic bass solo as well, and they ended up in a similar fashion to the beginning with uh, Hillerman on guitar handling the melody and sax uh, accompanying his main melody lines. So I thought this was a tasty trio with fine musicianship. It's a nice mix of standards and covers of originals by jazz greats. You got tenor sax, flute, bass clarinet, also uh, a little acoustic guitar thrown in for the Brazilian piece. Uh, fine arrangements with lots of space. What's not to like?
0: Yeah, well, yeah. It's a highly appealing album. Lack of drums was interesting. The bass carries the rhythm. And my ear, because there were no drums, my ears are drawn to all of the instruments at the same time and the way they interact. And uh, that was consistently entertaining. It was really great. Um, so, yeah, I... Yeah, definitely worth a listen.
2: Yeah,
1: chilled out, lots of space, melodic, uh, puts you in a good yeah. mood. Uh, nice recording, too, captures. But, uh,
0: yeah, by the way, I was thinking about um, what to recommend to people. Um, sometimes I'll get like the question is, uh, I want to listen to classical music. What do you recommend I listen to? <laughs> like, I, oh. I really don't know. There's <laughs> like loads of it. <laughs> what kind of, can you give me a yeah. hint? And uh, one of the questions I'll ask them, this is really interesting because I don't really know, you know, mm. i to just get some kind of, I said, well, what instrument do you like? You know, what do you, What instrument do you like listening to? Because I figured that, right. you know, like I like the piano, obviously, and there's, other, we talk about the bass clarinet often right. and the Hammond organ. So they're just instruments we really like. And the answer that I'll most often get is oh i don't know i've never really thought about it but i would think that would be like an immediately appealing thing but again i guess i just don't understand the non-music listener's mind very well i
1: don't know hard to find a reference point sometimes yeah
0: yeah one of my favorite comments that i get in classical music is like uh i i like baroque music but i don't like the harpsichord you know, it's it's, it's kind of like saying, you know, I like rock <laughs> music, but I don't like the electric guitar. I mean, you don't like yeah. you don't like Baroque music if you don't like the harpsichord. It's just kind of... Right. I, I know what they mean, though, because they want to hear those violins and stuff or, you know, whatever. But there's always a continue. And these days you can hear continuo without the uh, harpsichord. You can get like... If you must. The orbos or lutes or something or organs.
1: Yeah, you know? if you have to.
0: <laughs> if you have to. But of course, uh, I don't know.
1: All right. Um, yeah. Next, we're going to move from Germany to Spain with a release called Vida. And yeah. uh, here on the Universal Music Spain label, uh, we've got. It's a, a big label. Universal it's a big music. label. And uh, this is a group that's uh, pretty well known uh, in this style of music, which is flamenco jazz. Yeah, and uh, we've got uh, josemi Carmona Javier colina and bandolero a lot of these uh, mm. uh, Spanish musicians have like a one word name like performing name uh, and you'll understand why um in a moment uh this follows up on their 2016 uh recording uh de cerca uh, I think is how it's Pronounced, uh, kind of flamenco jazz that w- got a lot of attention. Um, and so it's, uh, Josemi Carmona on guitar, Javier Colina, bass and accordion, and, uh, Bandolero handles the uh, percussion here. We've got a few guests, uh, including Rosalyn. That's her performing name. Uh, She's a Spanish uh, singer-songwriter, and uh, that's better than having to say Maria de Los Angeles Rosalena Ortuno,
0: Which is her full name. Full name. So,
1: (laughs) Rosalem. And uh, also on one track, uh, Farquito, who is a dancer, and he adds the uh, footwork percussion uh, from his dance. Uh, Oh, that's really interesting. Yeah. uh, So he is Juan Manuel Fernandez Montoya.
2: Okay. That's not so bad.
1: Farruquito. Yeah. He oh, seems Far-kito. to have a uh, kind of a controversial past uh, involved in some <laughs> things. And he's apparently banned from entering Japan. Uh, anyway. Um, Be- being banned from Japan isn't really a hard thing to not do. Not a big thing. Even Paul <laughs> McCartney was banned for a while. Right? Yeah. But yeah. Um, I always loved flamenco music. Um And I think it's one example of uh, music that you would have to really be immersed in the culture to understand what's going on in the music, because it's it's a music tied with dance and Mm -hmm. it has its own unique traditions. And the way that the music develops into different sections is often a mystery to me. You know, things just sort of change, burst out. Someone stands up, starts singing, suddenly... Another person starts dancing; it sort of defies, uh, you know, your expectations of what's going to happen. So I think to really understand flamenco, you'd have to probably, you know, get into that whole performance culture and understand it. But uh, it's you it know, it makes I,
0: me think of those. It kind of makes me think of those church uh, situations where, like in certain Protestant churches, where people will just stand up and you know, tell their story of how yeah. the Lord saved them or something like that just spontaneously, you know. Or
1: they bring the snakes in.
0: Well that yeah
1: that's, <laughs> that's a particularly a
0: peculiarly American thing, I think. <laughs> anyway, uh yeah. I think
1: you know, flamenco music has uh built into it this improvisational nature and that's what makes it work kind of well with integrating with jazz uh which has happened for a while now. So, um, and there's new flamenco styles that break out of that uh, traditional kind of, uh, structure. And jazz musicians have been interested in the unique rhythms and, um, modal kind of, uh, ideas inside of flamenco melodies and things. So it's a, it's a really nice combination that works. And here, well, uh, these are very, high level flamenco musicians who also can do uh interesting other kind of things with jazz uh too and so the material here is a combination of original material and some surprising uh choices and interpretations of other things uh so we're going to begin with the uh, original composition by Carmona the title track vida uh it starts at, this one is probably the most normal uh flamenco style piece uh, and it starts very stylized in a flamenco uh feeling to it with a solo guitar opening uh then some bass focus as the percussion sets the you know flamenco mood. It works into a very cool repeated modal riff between bass and guitar with cool guitar flurries uh in that flamenco style uh The bass gets a solo first and then uh back to the riff. Uh, Carmona takes a guitar solo over the flamenco rhythm that is mostly, uh, flamenco with some jazzy touches in his, uh, guitar lines. Uh, the riff theme returns between the little solo spots for more, uh, bass and percussion. And there's some cajon, uh, going on in there with some hand clapping. Uh, so it sounds very, you know, flamenco, but if you listen to, uh, the flamenco music, you're never going to hear the bass having this prominent of, of a role and this level of uh, you know improvisation uh, yeah. like that but it's it's an intriguing mixture of things and yeah. that flamenco sound always really pulls me in and uh, it's the amazing guitar playing too yeah. in flamenco yeah. you get a bit of that here too yeah those fiery bursts of uh, yeah. runs and things now you're gonna really uh, crank the wheel <laughs> and turn to a different direction here because we sure track are this is, is beautiful
0: yeah it's Danny two, yeah.
1: Boy and, uh, it's a really, uh, intriguing and unique arrangement. Uh, it starts out with short arpeggiated guitar intro, uh, to this melody that everyone knows. Uh, it's still played on solo on a guitar, uh, in a little swinging rubato. Uh, the bass joins in the next time around the melody, uh, locking things in with a pulse and some answering phrases to the guitar lines. Uh, Bandalera sneaks in with some percussion and ringing drum sounds. Uh, Carmona adds really great little flourishes to the melody uh, before he passes it off to Colina for a nicely melodic bass solo. Uh, Then we get a guitar solo sticking closely to the melody uh, before returning to it Uh, For another round together and a nice slow and kind of unique harmonic ending Uh, So a tune you wouldn't expect here, but done uh, with a very tasty uh, new interpretation
0: Yeah, the the complete opposite styles and yet yet it comes across really well here. Yeah, it just sounds beautiful
1: Uh, The guitars record everything's recorded really well Uh, also featured on this uh, recording is a few uh, Brazilian tunes uh, which track three is one of uh, Loro. I guess this is uh, Egberto Gismonti, the composer. I had to really dig deep th- to find uh, any kind of information about the tracks and uh, <laughs> performers, composers on this. I was uh, Most of it came from a Japanese site, uh, so I'm not yeah. sure about the uh, pronunciation. So if I don't get anything I right... I um, have a few
0: Egberto Gismonti recordings, so I wonder if yeah. this is on one of them. I'll have to check it out. Check it was out. on the ECM label.
1: Now on here, we get the first edition of Accordion, which is a uh, uh, credit to Colina, the bass player, as well. So I assume it's an overdub because we get you know, bass uh, on the recording as well. This one's got a really sunny melody, a few interesting passing uh, chords of harmonic tension that sort of come over that uh, really happy feel, so it's an interesting kind of contrast. Uh, hand clapping and a throbbing bass beat, push this one along. Uh, Features enthusiastic guitar solos from Carmona and some vocalization uh, along with Colina's accordion solo. Uh, Near the end, there's an ear-catching section of guitar and accordion, doubling doubling notes as the bass and percussion drop out. Uh, So they're sort of left hanging alone there, and then they skillfully all slow it down together uh, as it just sort of winds out of uh, tension for the ending.
0: I don't think Egberto Gismonti ever did anything that wasn't cheerful. Mm, he yeah. <laughs> was just a cheerful, yeah. musical it guy. Just,
1: just has those kind of great, weird little chords that you hear in Brazilian music that sort of, you know, yeah. uh, come unexpected. Uh, as I said, just passing clouds, but overall, it's very cheerful. Uh, from what I understand, track four is a traditional Spanish song, uh, La Violetera, which is uh, the violet... Vendor or Selling Girl, uh, something like that.
0: Yeah, sounds uh, good to
1: me. <laughs> this one's a loping and singing uh, kind of baseline intro. Soft cymbals, wistful guitar chords. This one has a real dreamy mood. What a pretty song. Uh, Carmona carries the melody on guitar gently. He passes it off to Kalina for a round and woody bass solo. And Carmona comes back for a guitar solo around the melody, full of crisp articulations, Little flamenco flourishes, uh, just a pretty little number. Truck five, another uh, Brazilian tune, Cantiga, Edu Lobo and Sico Buaruchi. If I get that right, uh, I had to read it from Japanese in order to find the credits for This one's a rhythmically attractive tune. It uh, feels like it's got a six beat meter, uh, a cymbal roll, and into a guitar intro. Uh, for the melody, it gets a push from percussion and hand claps. Colina has another bass solo, here focusing on the rhythm mainly. It gets some vocal encouragement in the background. Uh, Carmona does some more guitar magic, injected with flamenco spirit. Uh, so another fun uh, Brazilian-type piece. Uh, track six, I think this is uh, maybe the highlight of the album, of, at least of known things. Uh, Chicurias Spain. Uh, yeah, <laughs> But what an original arrangement. It's really slowed down uh, beyond uh, what you're used to. I've never heard it done like this, uh, w- but it pulls out the beauty of the melody. Uh, it allows for more uh, lyrical phrasing of it. Uh, it. And it actually will make you sway along to the groove. If you're sitting in your chair, you'll get like a rocking kind of motion going. Uh, Carmona injects lots of fast fingered lines in his solo uh, to keep, the melody, full of excitement, even at the slow tempo. There's another fine bass solo by Colina as well. And when they get through to the uh, ending, uh, they give you a little unexpected, uh, brief contrasting flurry of guitar notes, almost at the tempo that you may have, you know, usually heard this tune at. Uh, but a nice reinterpretation, uh, well done. Uh, track seven. Another Carmona original, Mar de Dudas. A nice syncopated arpeggio guitar rift gets this one going. It has an attractive flamenco modal moodiness in its twists and turns, and attractive contrasts of sections where uh, bass and percussion drop out, uh, leaving the guitar highlighted. Colina gets some uh, bass grooving going in his solo here. The rhythms and accents change up, and Carmona has a lot of attractive guitar lines uh, that uh, all end up in an emphatic ending uh, to the tune. Uh, track eight, a tune everyone knows. Uh, again, an re- interesting arrangement, uh, Henry Mancini's Moon River.
0: This uh, this may be the tune that we've heard most often on this podcast, yeah, really. Yeah. It comes up a lot. Yeah, we
1: just heard it a few weeks ago. Uh, yeah. And we heard it twice on the same album, actually. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, solo solo intro version. Yeah. yeah. Um, this one has an interesting rhythmic intro that contrasts with the softer beat which they switch to uh, for the famous melody once it gets going. Carmona adds just enough uh, embellishment with creative ideas. Uh, they bring back the intro groove uh, midway and uh, the dancer Faruquito adds uh, flamenco footwork uh, to the mix for some extra percussive sounds. Before it settles down to a bass solo, Carmona solo's just a bit as well before tying it back into the melody, uh, leaving space between his spring-loaded guitar ideas. Those yeah. flamenco little, you know, explosions yeah. of fingerwork—very uh, cool.
0: Next one. I just want to say about you know, Moon River songs like Moon River over the rainbow. It's just amazing how much traction they get. They're just ama- yeah. great songs. No one ever lets them go. They just keep no. uh, being re-recorded, rearranged.
1: The, really. That was the, yeah. you know, the great American songbook, the golden era of those, you know. But
0: even even among those songs, like these yeah. stand out. And there are one or two yeah. others as well, you know. Yeah. Just, Misty maybe, but you don't hear Misty too much anymore.
1: Too much know. anymore. Yeah. Beautiful so. harmonic progressions that inspire all kinds of uh, creativity. Right. And uh, the last one uh, we're going to get is huramento uh, uh by another Brazilian tune by the singer Rosa Passos. And uh, here we get accordion again, and this is where uh, Rosalyn joins in on vocals. Um, I guess this is Portuguese, at least it originally was. Um, I forgot I didn't note down what language she's singing in. Um, it's both rhythmic and breezy. Uh, her voice quality is uh, warm with an interesting very fast vibrato uh on some notes uh that adds a little kind of nervousness to the tone uh It gets some additional flamenco interesting harmonic tensions towards the end of the tune so it goes from more of a popish kind of Brazil feel to a more uh tense uh flamenco feeling at the end um And after listening to this uh, album, which I thought was great, uh, I think anyone would like this. uh, Flamenco, to me, it's kind of like uh, my favorite hot sauce. Um, (laughs) I I, I love this. uh, I I grow hot peppers and things as a hobby, and I like to eat hot stuff. And uh, I have uh, these, uh, like, Marie Sharps and other uh, hot sauces. Yeah, you
0: got quite a collection there. I've been over there for that.
1: When you put them on something, it just like makes them uh, taste better. So I feel like flamenco, like you can put it on your moon river. You can put yeah. flamenco onto your Danny boy and it's going to yeah. sound better just because <laughs> it's got all these <laughs> cool good, yeah. rhythmic spices going on in it. And um, yeah, I thought this is uh, a very attractive uh, mix that has enough flamenco elements and jazz resources mixed in, but uh a creative improvisation in the solos, uh, well recorded, uh, and easily digestible, so.
0: Yeah, no, that, but people who like the uh, guitar in general, especially flamenco guitar, they're they're just gonna love this because oh, he's yeah. got some of the he just rips some of those like you know really <laughs> yeah. quick patterns and stuff. It's just amazing to hear it's like lightning striking, you know? Yeah,
2: yeah.
0: Um, I think he'd like that. I also liked on this the the accordion pieces. There's an accordion in a few. Uh, I like it's an accordion bandonium. What is it? Uh,
1: it says accordion. Yeah, yeah. So. yeah.
0: I love yeah. that sound, and in, in this context, it's yeah, really great. Me too. I really wish someone should do it an entire jazz accordion album I bet I'd like that
1: well, I just one just came up on my radar a, a French one uh, we'll sam- sample it and
0: maybe we'll talk about that yeah okay I got, I got a French episode coming up soon too I can, we could do we that we could do that, so yeah. that. yeah another instrument to... I really
1: like in jazz is harmo- uh, harmonica and I yeah. do have a harmonica album too so
0: that's cool because we don't hear enough yeah, of that either. not enough that's another yeah. one
1: alright yeah. alright and uh, we're gonna finish things up with uh, if if piano trio is the uh, main trio we you know think of in jazz music the other one that we don't uh, hear enough of but we're hearing more of and you're going to hear as much as possible on <laughs> on, on our this podcast. podcast
0: you certainly because we it, love this it, instrument is yeah. the
1: uh, is the organ trio and yeah. uh we've had a number of uh, great organ trio recordings and well we've got a real slammer this week and it's a bunch of greeks who knew yeah who would have thought? Who knew that Greeks would
2: <laughs> How'd they the even Greeks get of to the, of the their hands on a Hammond B3. Yeah. Uh,
1: <laughs> this is, uh, actually, it's not, uh, Hammond B3. Uh, it's not. We'll get to that. No, it's not. Uh, oh, I okay. was intrigued. Okay. I had to know, but I found out, but it, it sounds uh, great anyway. Anyway, yeah. uh, uh, this is a album that will probably slip under the radar, uh, but you've heard it here, uh, on adult music. It's called Safe Place and, uh, Iakovos Simionidis, did I get that right? I don't. I don't, I don't have the
0: uh, names of the players. Simion. Simionidis.
1: Simionidis. I'm sorry. Simionidis. Uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. And that's uh, about right. That, uh, well, he's the uh, guitarist here. It's his label, so it's a self-release. Uh, his group is called the Jocko Organ Trio. Uh, this one came out in April. So Iacovos. Uh, I guess he has a kind of nickname of. Jacob or Jacob, so that's where the Jaco comes from. Uh, he's on guitar. George Contraforis on organ. Let's see. We've got, uh, Yanis on drums. And on a few tracks, uh, we've got some alto sax from Dimitris Tsakas. Uh, yeah. and, uh, so. Sionidis is a guitarist from, originally from Athens, Greece. And, uh, if you look at the cover of this album, you'll see if you've ever been to Athens, uh, the, your first impression will be is, uh, graffiti because there's, uh, graffiti spray painted <laughs> everywhere. Uh, and you'll see that a little bit of it. I guess that's, uh, somewhere in Athens where they took some, but I love Athens. I've been there a couple of times. Uh, and, uh, what a great city. Uh, I like I love too. the Greeks. Yeah. I I love the culture and the food. Greek food is like my favorite food. Um, it's up there for me. I like yeah, it a lot too. And uh, I like their relaxed attitude uh, toward life. And uh, well, anyway, it's always
0: that Mediterranean people in general. Like although
1: that. this um, yeah. yeah this album was uh, recorded Artrax uh, Studio in Athens, Greece, but Simounidis is uh, actually uh, based in uh, Berlin, Germany. Uh, as a performer uh, but I guess he got together with his Greek buddies for this one and this is a really fun album everyone's gonna like this even grandma will be rocking in her chair uh, to <laughs> to this one uh, and it's got a great mix of original tunes that are really good and some great uh, jazz and not really jazz covers but they all work out really well here uh, so uh, Simulonitis uh, original starts it out The Bus Blues Uh, It's a really chilled out blues to start this recording. A a really good, relaxed groove to it. Uh, Guitar solo first, uh, after the blues head. Uh, Simonetis has a really warm, jazzy sound. Uh, He mixes up chilled, bluesy licks and nice runs that show off his really good chops. He's got some nice guitar chops. Uh, Then we're going to get an organ solo from uh, Contra Uh, what he's playing, I looked up, uh, you can, I put the, uh, one of the videos on our Facebook page, but it's a Nord C1 organ. So I guess what this is, it's like a clone organ that, uh, I emulates know. the sounds of a lot of 60s organs. And there's no foot pedals, uh, for bass. It has oh. like, you know, sustain pedals and whatnot. So I think it's, it's got an extra key, you know, keyboard that you have to do, um, left hand bass basically. Uh, so that all the bass in the album is done on the organ but not foot pedals um, anyway uh, his organ playing here is tasty the tones sound really rich and good nice mix of runs and bluesy percussive ideas so that's an original blues to start things out uh, then we're going to go to an interesting choice of covers a am Tyner tune uh, um. the man from Taganayika uh, this is a, a really interesting composition. I thought uh, they so give it too. A, yeah, a, a groovy rhythmic organ intro. Organ and guitar work this mesmerizing melody line together uh, that has cool rhythmic breakups in it. Uh, there's a uh, guitar solo that mixes uh, cool modal ideas and bluesy licks, and uh, the drumming by uh, Papadolis mixes up the beat as they lock into syncopated grooves. Uh, The organ solo has serpentine lines chasing cool ideas around the harmonies. Uh, After that, they vamp a bit to get uh, Papadoulos set up uh, for some drum fun, and then they bring it back to the very cool melody. Uh, by this point, I'm really enjoying this recording. Yeah, uh, knowing this is going to be getting uh, better and better.
0: Yeah, this was an intriguing track. In fact, I think the uh, the it the rhythm changes too. It's sort of like in yeah. those. Uh, you know, you get that kind of. It's almost like an African like rhythm. Yeah. I guess that's why they call the man from Taganika. Yeah, it's um because it, it kind of sounds like one of those rhythms that you kind of add beats to, although I don't think he does that here. It's then just going go feel the straight up. swing groove. It's really, yeah, yeah. A, it's a, such a contrast. It's that really... That hard
1: bob kind of, uh, push-pull contrast of rhythms. It's really right.
0: great. Yeah. Great track. Give this a
1: listen. Yeah. Uh, we're gonna go to another original, uh, by, uh, Simonetti's, uh, Safe Place. Uh, this one starts with a happy guitar riff, uh, and it gets into one of uh, the last time we did an Oregon album, I talked about this cruising groove. It's just right. like, you've got, uh, you know, like I had my 78 Coupe de ville, had that hundred watt <laughs> Delco stereo in it. You just get right. that June to the Congo cruiser. You just get going down that highway and yeah, that's it. And, um, takes up two lanes yeah <laughs> t- yeah and all your week's money for gas but th- yeah. th- this one has that uh, real cruising groove. Uh, there's a sunny organ counterline that's layered on over that guitar uh, riff and melody. Uh, the tune has some nice harmonic twists and turns. Uh, Simonetis grooves out for a fun solo and it gets cordy with nice supporting accents from the organ. After a repeat of the melody it gets more rhythmic and they build it up to the end with some funky strumming on the guitar to take it out. Uh, Just a real uh, grooving tune. Uh, Now track four, we're going to do an interesting cover. Uh, Donny Hathaway's Little ghetto boy. <laughs> you know this oh, too. God. yeah, uh, I know that too. Yeah, yeah. and uh, from his great live album. Uh, so get your 70s sideburns grown out for this one and uh, <laughs> put on your uh, hat. Uh, Seminus picks out the melody on this one. Nice organ washes underneath. Uh, great funky bass lines on the organ keyboard as well from uh, Confor Forest. Uh, he's doing both duties here, but the bass is particularly funky. Uh Puppadulus keeps it uh, tight and tasty with great little drum fills and changes up of the groove uh, through the different sections. Um, Simonides makes some uh, bluesy jazz magic in his solo and he finds one riff that he just can't stop repeating. <laughs> it's mm. like someone has to come over and uh, punch him to stop uh, building up all that tension. It's really cool. Uh, the organ solo is fine and funky too, working up lots of rhythmic tension. is a great... Uh, version of this tune, uh, really stylistically done. Uh, track five, another Simonetti's, uh original, uh, Brianna, starts out with a guitar riff uh, and it gets this tune worked up into a samba feel. Uh, and Sakas joins in here on uh, breezy melody with his alto sax. Uh, Simonides joins in with him on the bridge for a nice effect. Uh, really nice chord changes in this original tune. Uh, and Socus really blows an inspired solo over them, uh, finding just all the great different emotions, uh, implied by the harmonies. Uh, that's what I like about these kind of, if you take on a Brazilian style, you can do some interesting, uh, hmm. harmony tension type of things. This tune has a lot of them and they sound great. Uh, Simonides has a great, fluid guitar solo again here too and the tune ends up with a soft vampy outro uh another <laughs> unexpected hmm. cover uh track six curtis mayfield's freddy's dead <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. so we're getting into you know not strictly jazz material here but uh this is great uh guitar and organ unison riff start this tune out with a great groove. Uh, Papadolus adds nice clicky drums to the funky organ, bass line, and chords. You're going to dig the gospel-y organ on this one. Uh, that mm-hmm. kind of prophet organ that just swells in and out. The groove alternates between the funky bass groove and a riding uh, feel accented by the cymbals. Uh is absolutely kills it in his solo here, alternating between the two different feels of the rhythm that come through here. Uh Country Forest has a fine organ solo and uh it's also uh peppered with little percussive hits and some swells. Uh really cool cover, uh Curtis Mayfield tune. Uh now we're gonna go all traditional, uh track seven with Loverman. Uh the uh, tune written for Billie Holiday by Jimmy Davis, uh, Roger Ramirez, and James Sherman. Uh, great extended guitar intro here that mixes runs, chords, and works around the melody for more than a minute before the organ and drums join in uh, for a new beginning of the melody. It's nice and slow, as it should be. The organ backing is hot and swelling under Simon Dydis's melody on guitar. Uh, Country Forest takes the final section of the melody on organ and pops it out at the end. Uh, his organ solo is full of tension with slight hesitations, very dynamics. Uh, Simonitis is wonderfully bluesy and fluid on his guitar solo, and we get more great organ swells as they play through the melody again and then give Simonides a little extra space uh, to take it out at the end. Uh, very classy. Uh, eight, a kind of a... Uh, Uh, angstful tune original by Simonides, Lockdown.
0: Uh, Guess what that's about. (laughs) Yeah, guess what that's about. Uh,
1: Here, uh, Papadoulos has been saving up his drumming energy to beat out the introduction and get busy on this tune. Uh, It's got a nice post-bop feel to it. Uh, Tsakas joins back in on alto sax here too. Uh, It mixes up syncopated section with a swing groove uh, of the melody to get that kind of uh, alternating tension. And uh, Tsakas is ready for that uh, with uh, first solo, that has got a, a really high level of intensity. Uh, Controphorus keeps a walking bass moving underneath on the organ keyboard. And then Simonitis peppers in fast accented chords between fluid lines. Uh, again here he gets stuck on one of those riffs that he can't let go of <laughs> uh, for a really unique solo mixing up all kinds of techniques. Uh, Papadoulis gets a drum solo here. He makes it worth the wait uh, before they run through the melody again, and uh, we're gonna end up with another original by Simonitis. Time's Up. This one starts out with a hypnotic guitar riff uh, for a start to this waltzing tune. Uh, Simonitis starts uh, it out with building some tension over a modal vampy section for working into the melody over the regular chord progressions. It sort of hits on this one t- a chord that gets all modally and then mm. breaks up as it goes through. Uh, but they really bring that out, uh, emphasizing in the beginning. Uh, Country Forest's organ solo is melodic, uh, but he builds tension over that uh, kind of hanging chord as well. Uh, and when Simonitis comes in for his solo, he does the same. Uh, adding back some modally things uh, when he hits that uh, section. Uh, Papadolus gets to bang things up for a short vamp before they settle back in for a final waltz through the melody. And uh, that melody hangs on a chord uh, to fade away uh, to a final cymbal. Tink! By (laughs) Papadoulas. This is a great organ trio. Uh, I really love this recording. Fine and fluid guitar, nice sounding organ. It's not a Hammond B3, but it's got uh, great tones uh, and uh, fine playing. Uh, Anyway, uh, interesting drumming. The drummer here has lots of cool little additions uh, to the mix. Uh, I actually made a note about that myself. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Nice little Phil's enthusiastic, a little um, unorthodox touch. Uh, there's a good mix of high-quality and original tunes and cool covers, making a jazz and bluesy brew. And they're all Greeks. Yeah. And this sounds yeah. great. Uh, this is a yeah. great recording. Um, what this is going to be on my favorite uh, organ recordings of the year so far. Uh, it was good. So. Is it on CD? Do you know? <sighs> Self-release, so Don't it's going to be a yet. rough one, I think. Uh, yeah. He does have his own website uh, too, yeah. so maybe it'll make it out onto CD. Maybe we'll check I hope that so. Out. Yeah. Um this, this is gonna be just, on your year end list, huh? Well, i uh, it's, Most it's likely, one of, it's yeah. I think it's my favorite um organ recording so far. Um, oh, okay. So um but it's really good groove, great guitar work, uh and this trio just works and I love the choice of material. And yeah, the the original too. tunes are all really just as good too. So it's sort of seamless and right. um, I don't see how anyone could not like this, you know. You're right. Yeah, it was. I certainly did. Um, it
0: it sounds kind to me like it came from another era. I was like in the nineteen fifties. Yeah. Yep. Well, I think it's the recording quality as well. The way they did yeah. that, and uh, the guitar playing throughout was tasteful. Sounded good. I actually thought on lockdown track eight that he sounded a bit like uh, Pat Martino. There, he was kind of oh yeah yeah those, yeah. Uh, it's got that little kinda, vibe to they, it. Kind of yeah. struck me. Uh, as Could that.
1: be an influence. Yeah. Um,
0: yeah, he's got an appealing tone. And I also mentioned the drums here. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah, everyone's excellent. Yeah, I guess this was. I wasn't going to... I I think I'd get this on a CD, actually, if he's yeah, got I'd one like out. I'm going to look into that now.
1: At first, I thought, you know, um, I didn't know what to make of it. But once I started to listen to it, and I listened to it again, I realized, oh, this is really good, and it's an interesting choice of material. Um, mm. It really makes it stand out, so...
0: It's always good to hear the organ too, even if it's not a Hammond. It's no problem. It's, that kind of yeah. sounds like a Hammond, though.
1: Yeah. yeah. Well, I think it's this uh, thing. Just doesn't to, do it, those effects
0: with the spinning speakers. Yeah, stuff. not
1: too much. I think it's got an Leslie effector on it, but it's and as I said, Nord C one. It's meant to sound like '60s organs uh, right. in general. It, and it does. So it, it does a good job. <laughs> yeah, it's very yeah. rich. Yeah. yeah. So there you have it. Uh, three very different trios from uh, Germany, Spain and uh greece and uh well they're all really good jazz uh incorporating lots of different things jazz is really international and uh man uh, i think that anyone will be happy to hear all these three recordings so
0: yeah and the classical ones too we recommend that you listen to all of them and uh get it on while you do
1: yeah get it on (laughs) and uh well you know, next week uh, we already know what we're going to do. We're going to have uh, a little bit of uh, sexual healing. Oh, we got to right?
0: do another yeah. sax pun, don't we? Yeah, <laughs> we
1: we'll have to think of a good title for us. Cool, so we do episode. have we do have
0: a sax um classical recording coming next yeah. week, which is rather unusual. So yeah. that's kind of why we went for the. Uh, he Russ has um, sax recordings piling up in the back of his house. There, yeah, so got to get some of them out.
1: Actually, so what I did is um. I actually picked two new ones that just came out like the day before yesterday because I liked them so much. Uh, wow, and cool. I just went back a little bit. Um, so, what we're going to get for jazz next week, you're going to get five saxophones on three recordings. So, there's, oh, wow. one, there's one recording that has three saxes, and yeah. there's more organ. So, one of the tunes, uh, one of the albums has organ instead of piano and hmm. there's also one latin one in there too so right. th- that's a lot to look forward to uh i've just kind of you know pre-listened to these so i think it's going to be a really intriguing mix of uh sex and there's one tune with bass clarinet too oh that's so always good it's, this is an action-packed
0: sax i'm glad so many people play playing yeah. the uh <laughs> that could be the title. Action be. Packed
2: sacks. Write that packed down. Sacks. Okay.
0: That could Let me be write it. that down. Write that, that might down.
1: be uh, we don't want to forget that. We want to wake up in the morning. <laughs> <laughs> that might be good. Yeah. i will write it down right now. Yeah, so that's what we got looking forward to uh for next week. Unless All we right. think of a better title. <laughs> could happen, but I think could that happen. might be yeah, the one. Be good. It sounds so, pretty good. If you've made it to us, uh, made it to the end with us, uh, all the way here, we thank and you. And we're for pretty listening. long today. We yeah, went we're uh, really long. Yeah, we're not quite at three, three hours yet, but we're yeah. almost there. But this has been yeah. episode sixty-four of Adult Music, the podcast with music for the mature mind. Now, all these things we just talked about, classical and jazz sax. If you want to know uh, and you want to listen to those before the episode next week, I'm going to get them up on uh, the. Deezer playlist, which will be, uh, put on, uh, the Deezer streaming. And then I'll put that on our, um, Facebook page too, as well. So you can listen to those, uh, ahead of time, starting from tomorrow. So do check out those resources and, um, until next week when we'll focus on, uh, sax and, uh, any hint on the other two recordings, Mike?
0: Well, Mozart Piano Concertos, and I've got, um, another orchestra recording by um, John Wilson in the London Orchestra called uh, Metamorphosin oh. and it's got uh, Richard Strauss's work Metamorphosin and also some works by Korngold and uh, another composer that we heard before Franz Schrecker
1: oh right, I remember him
0: yeah. yeah we've heard him before on the show too I think we may uh, I don't remember if that was it anyway we have heard him before so it's going to be a pretty interesting uh german expressionist kind of um right. <laughs> album and, and we have an album called the saxophone craze which is uh a pretty interesting release i haven't heard it yet but the i've been, read the notes and the works on it are mm. sort of forgotten works from the uh 20th century it's kind of interesting okay. oh, there's, a whole, cause there's all this early jazz that just kind of went on
1: yeah. like in
0: england and um nobody knows anything about it outside of england or people even in England you know it's just right. it's people who were around at the time are nostalgic for it but this duo just sort of um, revived all this music it's
1: going to be fun I'm looking forward to it yeah all right so tune in again next week to get your sax fix on adult music and keep listening <laughs> sax Tim. fix is also a good name <laughs> yeah look it's at this guy,
0: guy coming up with all the all the names
1: yeah anyway uh You'll find out what the actual title will be uh, next time. So until then, keep listening and we'll see you again next week.